Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I only want... What do you want? Tell me. To see you on the Iron Throne. Why? You have a good claim. A title. A birthright. But you have something more than that. You may cover it up when denied, but you have a gentle heart. You would not only be respected and feared, you would be loved. Someone who can rule and should rule centuries come and go without a person like that coming into the world. There are times when I look at you and I still can't believe you're real. Hey everybody and welcome to our podcast. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, champion of the Constitution. And I'm Lady Kristen of House McWegelbergino, Queen of the Undead. <laughs> and this is Game of Microphones, episode 57. Yahoo! On this episode of our series Rewatch, we are covering Game of Thrones season 2, episode 5, The Ghost of Hall. It's true. And for anybody who's unaware, this is a spoiler-filled podcast, so that means we will be covering uh, potentially all episodes up to the current time, that's until Season 7, Episode 7. So, if uh, if you're not caught up, you still have time to get murdered by a shadow demon, so you don't have to listen. Or thrown over the castle walls by Jacon- Jakar. <laughs> oh my gosh, Jack and Hagar. By this Sammy is Hagar. how tired I am. I apologize in advance. <laughs> or get thrown over the castle walls by Jack and Hagar. Okay. There you go. So this is your spoiler. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Oh, I really like that soundbite, by the way. <laughs> oh, you do the spoiler thing? <laughs> I think it's great. Nice, good. I, I wasn't sure of like if it would be too like too much, you know, or whatever. Oh, um, just to let you know, it, what I thought was cool because I just listened. I just listened to part of our podcast. I was testing it out um, on my Echo Dot, and all I have to do is say, "Play the Game of Microphones podcast." No way. And the Echo Dot says. 
please wait while I get the latest episode of Game of Microphones podcast. <laughs> and all of a sudden I hear, ah, and I'm like, yay. That's so cool. <laughs> I'm leaving that in the episode too. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. So let's jump right into it. You want to start this week, Kristen? Sure. Awesome. Um, I really noticed the theme of pride this episode and kind of how it played its part. Cool. Um, in the character arcs and the demise of a lot of our characters. So uh, one of the main ones was uh, Renly's pride, which I believe caused his death. He was very <laughs> prideful. Yeah, I um, agree. Yeah, of of how much better he was than his brother and how he had a bigger army and he had a bigger dick basically. And he had friends. Right. Exactly. Uh, the number two, uh, thing that we see with pride is Stannis. Um, I think that Stannis's pride blinds him to the dangers of blood magic. He, he's so intent and he has such tunnel vision that he is the one that he is the prince that was promised. And, you know, um, he's basically drinking his own Kool-Aid and he's so sure about it that he doesn't see what it's taking for him to do what he thinks that he's supposed to do. And I think that that pride eventually causes his downfall and we kind of start to see it now with him killing his own brother to get his brother's armies and to get a win. And for somebody who's so proud and, and so rigid in honor and the rules and what is supposed to be what he was willing to kind of stoop this low just to prove that he could win and that he was the better one. Davos has a great line sort of trying to put it in perspective for him too where he says you know he's warning them about he's trying to trying to talk to him about how he saw the shadow demon and Stannis is like listen we're not talking about it you know like just shut your fucking face uncle fucker <laughs> and um, you know and and Davos is like listen dude we got to talk about this and he shuts him down and he's like listen um, nothing is worth what this will cost you not even the iron throne and that right. you know I think that directly foreshadows um, what the, the greatest cost of all, which ends His up life. being no Shireen. Oh, abs- yes, there and, are worse things than death. You are right. Yeah, and uh, and his wife as well, Celise, but mostly Shireen. Like mm-hmm. you know, Stannis. I think once he realizes what the fuck happened, he would <laughs> take he would <laughs> and do anything to get Shireen back. You know, she's the, the princess of House Baratheon, and she, you know, she's special, man. So it's, you know, it's just tragic that Davos saw this coming a mile away, that the cost would be too high. He wasn't aware of what the cost would be, but he knew that something, it was going to be bad. And it's well, just it's like too bad. Well, it's that spidey sense that you get, you know? Yeah, you yeah. sit there and you're like, oh, no, this is wrong. I don't know why, but I know that this is wrong. Yeah, and Davos definitely got that spidey sense. You could see the, the horror in his face we talked about last week as that shadow demon was wrenching its way out of Melisandre. He's, cra- he's crouching you know, against I the wonder, wall there. I wonder if it would have been different if Stannis would have seen Seen that. it himself? Because mm-hmm. well, he didn't want to hear it. Yeah, I don't think he could have physically seen it himself because I think he was asleep in control of the shadow demon in his dream. Oh, oh, gross. But yeah. yeah. 
right? Because like he uh, isn't you're right. Isn't that the vibe that you sort of got? Because it's Stannis, like the the demon is Stannis, you know. Mm-hmm. So he goes to sleep, dreams of killing Renly, and wake wakes up, and it's done. Basically, like he did it, but, but he never left his tent. And he admits it um, to Brienne when she confronts him. She says, "You mm-hmm. killed, you killed um, Renly, didn't you?" And he's like, "Yep, I did it. You know, <laughs> I'm a bastard. <laughs> I, killed, I killed my brother, killed my daughter, killed my wife. Yeah, killed my brother-in-law, burned him at the stake. Hide your kids, hide your wife." <laughs> <laughs> You don't have to come and confess. We looking for you. <laughs> you can run and tell that, homeboy. Oh, look at you, buddy. I fucking love you are that thug song. Life. So another example of the pride theme in this episode would be Cersei's pride. Um, I think that it objects her understanding of the wildfire. She's so um, she's so prideful about being the queen regent and or the I don't, I don't know if it's the if she's still the queen. She's the queen regent. She's, I think she's the queen regent at this point. OK, so, you know, her and Tyrion are so busy trying to prove who the better sibling is for daddy that they don't understand that. There's a madman on the throne and there's wildfire under the city and, you know, the whole town is basically in pure hatred for them. But they have this sense of pride. They, you know, they're proud to be a Lannister, proud to be, you know, in in the um, the Red Keep, proud to to be of this higher power. And as long as Tywin is gone, Cersei is you know, pretty, pretty, um, what's the word I'm looking for? She's just, you know, I, I think that her pride, basically, I just think that her pride is getting in the way of, of what she's trying to accomplish, which is just to be the favorite kid, I think at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. Her, her, you know, her pride is blinding her, uh, strategy essentially. And then if you, you could even go deeper with this whole theme of pride with Theon's pride um, yep. and what it's doing to his devolvement as uh, as a character, what he is about to do to the Starks, what he's trying to prove to his father, what he cannot accomplish with his one tiny little sea bitch ship. Right. And uh, to add to your point... Um I have a point that is like yin, it's like yang to your yin here. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk about how pride can be used to manipulate or to guide um, these these leaders in their the way that they behave. Like you said, Cersei's pride is sort of clouding her judgment. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in, in contrast to that, we have a couple examples of leaders heeding the advice of their counsel in this episode and based on um, arguments that are centered around our leader's pride. For instance, we have Stannis, who's planning on invading King's Landing and uh, sieging the city and entering through Blackwater Bay. And Davos is asking him, are you planning on bringing Melisandre? And he's like, yeah, you know, she, whatever, she's the Red Woman. She's she's helping him with everything. And he's like, listen, you know, you just won all your bannermen from Renly, don't lose them to her. You know, you, right. you want to, you want to be the leader. You want to be the person in, in who's like making the moves. You don't want to have her stealing your glory or have people thinking that you're, 
know that she's whispering in your ear and controlling her. He plays to Stannis' sense of pride and, and you know, Stannis' desire to be the leader and helps him choose to keep himself in that position and not be as easily, you know, um, mistaken as being in the pocket of Melisandre by leaving That's her behind. That's a good point. Um, so Stannis, in order to maintain his his pride and his leadership, decides to leave Melisandre behind and tackle this himself. Um, so there we have we have Stannis's pride motivating him to listen to Davos here, and him. We have an example of a leader heeding wise counsel from um, you know their their hand essentially, right? Um, he's not at the hand yet, but and then a second example of that. We have Daenerys in this episode. Ah, she was my next point. Yay. Perfect. Okay, so you go first with your <laughs> no, angle. No, no, I like your own role. Speak okay. it. Um, so she is, you know, she's presented with a couple options in this episode. I love all the Karth stuff. I think it's really interesting and beautiful looking and everything like that. Karth will just, we'll talk about Karth more. But she's talking with Zaro Zoendoxus, and he brings her to check out his safe, and that's just like the coolest shit in the world. I want that safe. <laughs> Yeah, but he doesn't open it. Right, yeah, he doesn't open it because it's all front. He's playing the banking game. Um, this yep. is like what central bankers do. They'll, uh, you know, pretend they have... I have all this money. ...reserves, <laughs> yeah, and create false confidence in markets so that they can manipulate via lending and, you know, borrowing and whatnot. So, um, so she's... Zaro basically asks her to marry him, saying, I have the resources, you have the dragons, together would be unstoppable... She had recent, uh, previously just explained how you know they were comparing each other, and she was like, "Well, we're both conqueror, conquerors, but I'm just more ambitious," you know. And then he's like, he comes back at her, and he's like, "Oh, so maybe you know, maybe I'm more ambitious than you thought I was," which was cool. But at that mm-hmm. moment, I'm like, "Don't trust him," you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if he's ambitious, that means he sees you as a means to an end, and potentially as an obstacle to his total end, which means he could you could marry him, and then he could fucking kill you in your sleep or something. And take yeah, the but dragons. he thinks that because she's a little girl that that he's he can completely manipulate her and right. and um and get her to, to do what he wants her to do, you know that's what that's what sending the dress was all about. You know, Absolutely, I mean, yeah. they Buying totally her. matched each other, like right. they were a couple. Yeah. That was on purpose. Yes, good point. Um, so then she's talking with uh, Jora. Jora, and man, I love Jora. Man, Ian Glenn is just great. Um, this I love the character Jorah and his performances. It's just Agreed. I just can't get enough of him. So they're talking, and he's pointing out to her that you know that sometimes the easy way isn't the best way. You know, especially in a position like this, if you're a leader, you don't want to be given power like Joffrey. Or you know, nobody respects that when you're just given something. You want to earn it yourself and and own it and and. People respect that and will will acknowledge that you're worthy in that case. Studio edit. This concept also applies to Theon in this episode as we see him talk about this exact subject with um, Dagmar Clefjaw about earning his place as an ironborn and earning the respect of his crew. And it also applies to John, which we discuss shortly. Back to the show. And so he plays to her pride and tells her that, you know, you don't want to... You know, if, if you borrow all this money from Zaro's own Daxus, he owns you. The people never give give stuff like this in exchange for nothing. They always expect something. They're going to get something. That's how they succeed. And he's going to own you. And so 
he plays her like her like we were saying her her sense of pride, and she decides that she you know she wants to go the the honorable route and earn it herself, and and Jorah convinces her to do that and be the leader that she is that she dreams of being, not somebody that's artificially propped up and under the theoretical control of anybody else. So. Um, there we have two leaders heeding wise counsel in this episode, which is good to see and um, motivated by pride, just like you were talking about. Yeah, I think that um, it, it's important to note in that scene as well that, you know, Daenerys was she was just learning of the news in Westeros. Yeah. You know, she had been completely unplugged from what had been what's been happening over there. I mean, she didn't know that Robert Baratheon was dead and she didn't know that there were four kings that were all vying for the same role like she didn't know any of that and i think she probably in her um inexperience and her uh, and her youth she got a little overexcited and she saw the easy way to get there for a split second and she did have that wise counsel that you know stopped her right and jorah it's so funny too he's he's right but you know how's how's where's his motivation coming from is it from selfishness because he wants daenerys for himself and doesn't want her to be married you know i think that definitely plays a part in uh, in his in his motivation here for giving her this advice although it, it's the correct advice um but yeah i, I think it's definitely plays a part <laughs> i think that after seeing her in the in the fire with the dragons, right. I think after that, it's more of a, you know, I am going to protect this girl at all costs. And then he has that conversation with um, Kaith. Oh, with Quaith? Quaith, thank you. Um, which we'll talk about later. But I think, you know, all of that, his his own personal inclination to protect her, plus, you know, this red priestess that is telling him to protect her plus seeing that she is starting to get a little overexcited like maybe Viserys used to yeah uh, used to be you know yeah that's a good point too all of that coupled together you know probably is like okay well Jorah has to like calm her down yeah it's it's funny though could but she does accuse him almost um, it's 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 interesting. Uh, Zaro mentions to her her loyal manservant, who obviously is in love with her, right? Mm-hmm. And so she's like, "Well, what the hell do you want, Zaro?" And she's <laughs> she's trying to figure out everybody's motivation. So during this conversation with Jorah, she also tells him, you know, like, "Well, what do you want? Tell me." And he's like, "Shit, I'm busted." So he he switches. Um, you know, he, he gives an, a really good explanation, but I think he he omitted the fact that he he also wants her to himself. But I I really did like the way he articulated this. He says, you know, in response, "What do you want? Tell me." He says, uh, "To see you on the on the Iron Throne. You have a gentle heart. You would not only be feared and respected, you would be loved." Someone who can rule and should rule. Centuries come and go without a person like that coming into the world. And then the kicker, uh, there are times when I'm with you and I still can't believe you're real. real. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was such a cool line. That line is probably my favorite in the entire episode. Yeah, and she's, you can tell she's just really touched and, and like things are put into perspective by this line and she, uh, she bites, you know, she takes it hook, line, and sinker, and uh, and and goes along with his advice to uh, to go to Westeros without Zaro and to let him go and get a ship for her. 
Yeah, but at the same time, he had to have known. I, you know, I th- that's the one part that didn't jive with me in this whole scene was that he sat there and he's and he said, "You all, all you need is one ship." Nah, nah, dude. Mm-mm. Right? Nope. He thinks that he's she's going to be able to get allies in Westeros, like which was true. That's what he needed. That's what uh, she needed. Yeah, but she, I mean, she could arrive with one ship and three grown dragons. You know what I mean? But but not yes. one ship and three baby dragons. That's too Correct. too risky. Uh, Correct. For sure. Correct. So yeah, I don't think that's a good idea to go to Westeros immediately. Uh, right. In any in any in any sense. Although if she was motivated to go immediately, it's better to go um, on her own, not to be somebody's puppet, essentially. Um, yes. Be- Absolutely. So, yeah, there was a lot, you know, in in, uh, with Daenerys and Jorah and Zaro, um, there was a lot of pride, I think, playing a part in um, just what was happening, you know, just weaved in throughout that entire storyline in this episode. And then the last little bit of pride that I saw was um, uh, Loris and Brienne. You know, they, they both are are hellbent on being the one to uh, avenge Renly's death. Yeah. You know, come hell or high water. And Catelyn had to reel Brienne in and Marjorie had to reel Loras in. Big time. You know, so I I just noticed a lot of elements of that theme of pride, just playing a really large part and sometimes a very small, subtle part uh, throughout the episode. I agree. It's everywhere. Every every uh, storyline had it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Good call. Thanks. Yeah. How about you? All right. My number five, John gets his chance to play on the A-team. Yay! You know, he gets, uh, he gets sent out first shift of the game. Here we go, uh, or in this uh, in this episode, and it's pretty awesome. Um, you know, they see a fire on the mountain in the distance as they're camped out on the fist of the first men, and um, and they they know that if when those people who are at that fire lookouts with better eyes than they have, because that's what their job is, you know, they see them coming, that they're going to turn that into a signal fire, and Mance is going to attack. And the wildlings are better trained now with Mance leading them than they were ever beforehand because Mance is, you know, has military strategy um, experience from being in the Night's Watch, training and discipline and whatnot. So their tactics will have changed. So Corrin says, you know, we got to go and take these guys out, um, sneak attack these guys before they let Mance know we're coming. So he wants to take Harker, Stone Snake, and Borba which I thought are all fucking cool names. Yes. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and John volunteers to to go with Corin. And um, here is, again, we have another example of a leader heeding wise counsel and letting giving John the opportunity to step up and prove himself um, as Jor eventually does decide to let John go with the crew here. Um, you know, John points out that he killed a white, and Mormont has a hilarious line in response where he's like, aye, you killed a white, you also let an old man beat you bloody and take your sword. (laughs) 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 Craster and uh, Corrin Corrin steps up in John's John's defense and says, in the boy's defense, that's a tough old goat, you know, (laughs) which is funny. Um, Craster is a tough old bastard, man. Weathered old guy, you know. 
And <laughs> yeah. So Sam volunteers to uh, step up and take John's duties, take on John's duties while he's gone. And the uh, way he said that, the way he offered, I just you could almost hear George Mormont going, really? No. OK. <laughs> For what do you mean? Uh, really? Just like, looking at Sam because Sam Wells just like, well, I can do it. I, I'll be your steward, you know, uh, Lord Commander. And and he's just looking, you know, he's looking at Samuel, just you could just see the wheels turning in his head going, how am I going from Jon Snow to you? <laughs> like you wouldn't want Samuel. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, I mean, Sam would probably be the best option for a steward other than John, you know. For a Mormont, I don't know. I don't I don't know. I mean, Sam is like he's obviously going to get you the best food, you know. <laughs> Uh, he can read and write really well, so he's he good for... He always read it in a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he knows everything. He's going to be a great advisor. Like, I don't know. I think Sam would be the best steward, for sure. John's yeah. just like, let me range. I don't want to make your bed, you know? I just want to pout in the corner. I just want to pout and hit things with my sword. <laughs> Mope a bit, I'm gonna maybe. I'm going to go practice my speech that I'll be saying for, <laughs> for months and months. <laughs> yeah, so... um. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, John gets to step up here and go do what he's been dreaming about doing his whole life, and uh, it's not going to go as he expects at all. You know? What was it? Yeah. No, absolutely. I agree. Well, I mean, I don't think I don't think anybody could have expected what was about to happen to happen. Right. Uh, and but- Corin is sizing him up this whole time too. It's interesting. You can see him kind of like looking at John and like. You know, getting an eye of like uh, trying to trying to read, get a read on him, and John just looks super cool in this scene, man. He's just chilling there, like looking all like rugged with his hair all crazy and just acting super confident. You know, like Corin's like, who the fuck is this dude? This new guy who's just like, let me go with the A squad. You know what I mean? Like, I can do it. He's it yeah. obviously catches Corin's attention. You know, and he's like, who's this guy? You know, maybe he's up an up and comer. I feel like uh, so that was pretty cool, and I really, really, really loved. Mormont's um, acceptance line where he decides to send John and the way he reveals that he's accepted the proposal he says well I hope you make a better ranger than you do a steward <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> which you know I, I think that that was kind of a service that he was doing to John anyways you know I don't, I don't think that he was going to be able to keep him as as a steward for very long right um, given just his skills and he needed to go out there and he needed to earn his spot. I mean, you know, you can learn from the old commander all you from the uh, Lord commander all you want, but he's going to have to go out and be and and be something for himself. Yeah. If he's ever going to lead. I feel like um, um, John's unique position as steward with the intent of grooming him for training. I feel like mm-hmm. that in his case, his position was more like steward slash right hand man henchman. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I, I completely hundred percent agree. Yeah. So this is like the, like the, the um, evolution of the steward position for John is like, yeah, you're going to be my steward, but you're also going to get field experience. Uh, Correct. You know? Correct. Yeah. Well, you know, I, it, it could be also that Mormont saw kind of what was going on beyond the wall um, with, you know, just kind of the culmination of everything that was happening and 
knowing that the wildlings were all getting together and Mance was getting them together and Corrin's a little jumpy. Benjen Stark is missing. And he, you know, because um, I, I saw something that said that this was Jon Snow is now being fast-tracked. Oh, this is, yeah. Right? Gotcha. And yeah, so essentially. When you think about it from that perspective, you think, okay, so maybe Mormont thought, okay, you know, this is this is going... Escalating. Yeah, this is going to be something that even I'm not prepared for. Right. So Things are getting out of control. <laughs> let's get John going. Yep, I agree. Because he's got the heart, he's got the skill, he's got the leadership potential, right? He's so born for he it. goes out and he makes something of himself with Corrin half-hand and comes back from that. That's a big thing. He will thing. earn the respect of the rest of the watch and he'll be able to take over if Jor um, dies or when he hands it over, right? Right. Yeah, it's essentially the perfect opportunity that just falls right into their laps. Like, it's exactly right. what they both want. And so Jor realizes that, that this is a good way to uh, for John to make a name for himself, definitely. Mm-hmm. So, when uh, yeah, because I, I, when, when I heard that, I, um, I looked at that scene again from that perspective, and I totally saw it differently. And I had a greater respect for that scene as a very pivotal moment for Jon Snow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'd say so. More than, more than just like, Oh, there he goes. Well, There's yeah, a like, ranger like, now. Like, right. You're like, Holy shit. He's going, he's going off to be a man. Yeah. He's on the A team. <laughs> like that's big. Yeah. yeah. He's going to be on the East watch seven one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to be, be leading amazing. the East watch seven. Yes. He's oh yeah. You beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna see eighteen music, and there's gonna be a lot of running. There's gonna be pole vaulting. It's gonna be amazing. Yeah, it's gonna be so sick. Pole vaulting. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, the the Night King with his pole. Oh, yeah. It's very, it's, it's very sad. Is javelin throwing. Yes, ja- thank you. <laughs> thank you for keeping me honest on that one. <laughs> that pretty much wraps up my number five. Uh, just like that whole scene there. Nice. Anything else you want to add? No. Thank you for letting me add what I added. Of course. Teamwork. Makes um, the dream work. <laughs> so what's uh, your number four? Uh, my number four is I'm going, I'm shifting things around since I added up my number five at the last minute uh, is Tywin and Arya. So first of all, um, these two, I love, I, I love their chemistry. I yes. love the fact that they got to spend so much time together. Um, really strong scene. What's that? It's just a really strong scene in every aspect. So much, you know, you learn so much about Tywin, you know, at his little war council meeting, you know, you learn that he doesn't care if your family, he'll spare your life, but you don't get a pass. Yeah. Um, which I think is important to know, especially for, uh, you know, what's to come after Blackwater. Yeah, that was that was um, a great, great little interaction with his cousin there. Like if you didn't have Lannisters, if your last name wasn't Lannister, you'd you'd be something or other. <laughs> I don't remember. But yeah, yeah it's good. Probably dead. And because you're my cousin, I'll let you wake up from that sleep. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Like, exactly. Oh, shit. Yeah, that was um, good. I have always thought that Tywin knew that that was Arya Stark. I was wondering, um, Oh, were we talking about that last week at late week too? I thought you said you we? didn't think that he knew it was Arya Stark. Maybe I thought about it more then. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was like, maybe he knows. 
Um, so he figured out so that I she's from the north. Maybe it was watching this scene. Then is that you're looking at this, and he's knowingly looking at her. He knows that she's from the north. He's got this knowing stare. Yeah, and then at the very end of this fantastic scene, you know, she says, um, "Anyone can be killed." And they, oh my God. the amusement drains from his face. The intensity in goes up and, on her face. And they're just glaring and they're at each other. killing each other with their eyes. They literally are. Like, and. Oh, my God. And um, and it's in that moment that you think. Tywin, if Tywin does know that Arya Stark is, in fact, his cupbearer then I wouldn't be surprised if he hid that information, kept her there because Joffrey, if she, if she handed, if he handed Arya her over to, over to Joffrey, yeah, she's in danger. Joffrey, and Joffrey, she's, yeah, he would kill her. Yeah. And that's another bargaining chip that they would lose. And that's what, what I was speculating about last week. I was like, okay, so if, if he does know, then why did he, why did he, um, not do something about it. And you had said that that was one reason that you thought that he didn't know was because he's such like an organized, methodical, systematic dude that if he thought he had Arya, she would be under lock and key. And and I was thinking like so maybe it he... it seems this week I've jumped over to your side. Yeah, and so the, yeah, <laughs> I was thinking maybe like since it seems that through people's actions that he can... You can either get on his bad side or earn his respect... Uh, based on your actions, like when Tyrion manages to manipulate the mountain clans, make it all the way back to mm-hmm. the army, and then win in the battle, and Tywin makes him hand of the king, you know, I was thinking mm-hmm. maybe he's like earned a respect for Arya for facing down her enemies, for being clever enough to survive, and maybe he's just like lets her lets her slide just to see what happens because he's gained a respect for her and wants to see what happens um, just out yeah. of pure curiosity yeah. I'm trying to come up with an explanation of why he wouldn't take her if he knows that it's her so I, I can't decide whether or not he knows because I can't fully justify why he wouldn't wouldn't um, take her captive you know what I mean yeah I I, I do I hmm. yeah that's interesting you know he had to he had to have had some inkling he because he was very he was the smartest of all of them i guess yeah the most shrewd yeah he's obviously the most the smartest i guess it could it could hinge on the question of does he know that this group of prisoners that she was part of just came from king's landing and were with um yorin heading to the night's watch he was easily able to determine that she was a northerner um, he's, as we find out in the, few, in the next episode, he was able to determine that she's highborn based on her usage of my lady instead of saying, or, my, lady. Or, my, my lord, instead of saying my lord, my lord, right? So he's checking off boxes. He's like, okay, she, she's not from Maidenpool. She didn't know that the, the Mooton's sigil was the red salmon. She's slick on the Northern stuff. So he, he assumes she's from the North. She's, you know, she's like, oh, I'm from Barrowton, you know, house Dustin, two crossed black or two crossed axes with a, beneath mm-hmm. a black crown, you know. So it, she's obviously slick enough to be able to spout this out. Then, which she, could either either mean that she's from there or she's educated enough to know the sigils. Like when earlier we saw Bran 
being quizzed by uh, Maester Lewin on all of the sigils in right. the north. Exactly. So if anything, she knows the northern sigils. So she's definitely from there. Then possibly based on her, you know, that last line of anybody can die, anybody can be killed. Um, maybe he picked up In that moment, he on, has to know, right? No, possibly, yeah, because he knows that there's this little girl who's a Stark loyalist, you know, that he's determined based on this, this line here. Uh, she's from the north. She's anomalous. If she came from King's Landing, where a, a tiny little northern girl is missing from, you know, he would be able theoretically to deduce that that's Dressed Arya as a boy. Stark, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in disguise. But if he doesn't know that that b- batch of prisoners came from King's Landing, he might not necessarily connect those dots. He could think that she's just came down from the north, which would exclude her from being Arya Stark since she was already supposed to be in the south, right? Mm-hmm. So. I mean, it's who knows? I'd, I, I would love to know, but I think it's, you know, the way they make us wonder is is great and it's really effective, obviously, because we're sitting here debating it. So, the tension is is high. <laughs> well, and it's they're both so perfect in this scene. Yeah, and there's so many layers to this simple conversation, you know that that you can't help but just sit there and try and meditate on it for a little bit and just try and like connect the dots yourself. Right. Like you were just saying, okay, check off that box, check off that box. So, um, I'd, I'd be interested to know. Absolutely. Like if I ever got in front of, you know, um, DB Weiss or, or, or Dave Benioff, I'd just be like, Hey, uh, what, what what about this scene? Can, can you tell me anything? You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, totally. One of the characters is dead now. Like, who cares? Yeah, just tell <laughs> us tell if, me he the knew, answer. if he knew. You know. Okay, I got an, another thing that, that should be fun to talk about. So in that scene, Tywin, um, she explains where she, she claims she's from. And then he Tywin asks her, what do they say of Rob Stark in the north, right? And she says, they call him the young wolf. They say he rides into battle on the back of a giant dire wolf. Mm-hmm. They say he can turn into a wolf himself when he wants. They say he can't be killed, right? Um, and that's when he says, and do you believe them? And she says, no, my lord, anyone can be killed. Mm-hmm. But think about what she's saying here. They call him the young wolf. They say he rides into battle on the back of a giant dire wolf. They say he can turn into a wolf himself when he wants. Does, without giving away any, any book spoilers about the topic of warging, okay? Mm-hmm. Does this imply that Arya is aware of um, the capability of warging? Because obviously Bran can essentially turn himself into a wolf whenever he wants to by warging into Summer, right? Does does this hint that Arya is aware of this, that, that maybe she thinks Rob could have this capability or that maybe she has had it herself at some point, that she had some connection with Nymeria and is aware of this warging capability of Stark at least one Stark kid? Like, what do you think? Does Is this hinting at anything here? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I think it would be, it would be interesting if that was, if that was the case. However, there's no evidence anywhere really that she has that ability. Except for you this know, line, she, which, which, you know, the, the, the mirroring of warging is, is too close to be potentially coincidental. So this line could be the only evidence that there's something more going on here. So, I mean, so you think maybe 
because all of the Starks are, you know, paired with a direwolf that all of them have this capability then? Because there's always been talk of John <clears throat> John Snow warging into um, Ghost until his body was revived, right? Right. There was that theory. Yeah, there's people suggesting that that could be possible, yeah. Definitely. So, yeah, I mean, I just heard this line this time and I was like, whoa, interesting. You know, Arya's talking about it, what's essentially could be looked at as warging, you know. So I was but wondering, she also uh, listens. It could be what people are saying, especially, that's you true. know, where the commoners are. And that because maybe she's that, always been good at being quiet. Right. And maybe that uh, could could uh, hint that people are talking about Rob warging. Which is maybe, a very interesting. Yeah, maybe like maybe Rob is a warg as well, and the word has spread among the Northerners that he has like that he can be this wolf. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we saw how how deeply Grey Wind was under his control when he let him in the cage with mm-hmm. with Jamie, and he went right up to him. Maybe people are aware of this phenomenon of Rob, like essentially becoming the wolf and having the wolf acting exactly in his uh, in his favor and according to his desires so maybe well, that john john has that ability with ghost as well d- i mean i know that he's a targaryen but he's also he's also stark right yeah so and he does have that connection with with ghost does he i mean i know that ghost disappears for days at a time right off hunting ghost and comes stuff when he comes needs him goes. though yeah it's true it seems that ghost does arrive when uh when john needs him much as the way that Drogon did, maybe maybe Danny has a connection with Drogon. You know, at Daznak's pit when uh, when they're having the the fighting tournament, when she finally allows the games and Marine to be brought back, and the uh, the Sons of the Harpy attack. Oh yeah, hundred percent. She she is her and Drogon are they they have a, they have a mental that. bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I've talked about it on Still Smug. The uh, the questions that people have had about the connection between a dragon rider and their dragon um, and it's sort of unknown um, what exact bond exists between the two but there seems to be something because they actually uh, portray it quite beautifully on the show I don't know if you guys probably remember uh, they're -hmm. surrounded by the sons of harpy Danny they're enclosing Danny sort takes um, takes Miss Sunday's hand and they, they sort eyes. of look at each other. Yeah, and she closes her eyes and sort of tilts her Looks head up. to the sky. And then <laughs> Drogon comes out of nowhere. It seems like there's some kind of mental thing going on there. Um, so, yeah, maybe maybe that's the case with Rob. And word is spread in the north. And maybe Arya has no idea what warging is, but she's heard of of Rob becoming a wolf and doesn't understand that, that, that that's what the people are talking about. Or who knows? It's just cool. I thought it was possibly is a significant line yes um so yeah so that was my number four was tywin and Arya. um unless you had something else that you wanted to say about them tywin and Arya. uh no i think that pretty much covers it yeah maybe tywin knows who she is maybe he doesn't mm, really intense either way and uh it's got us wondering so they did their job well with that scene i think i agree what was your number four my number four is Cat and Brienne. Yay! And this is one of my all-time favorite scenes of the uh, of the show. Cat and Brienne are on the run. 
and discussing the shape of the shadow demon. And Kat says that, you know, she saw shadow demon in the shape of man. And <laughs> which is, she's got to be like, what the fuck is going on here? Right. Mm-hmm. And Bran's like, in the shape of, Sh- of Stannis, you know, in the shape of Stannis. Um, so Brienne, like, is adamant about this. And so they're talking. Kat is planning on seeing Rob and then leaving for Winterfell. They're they're bonding about how neither of them like really knew their mothers. You know, Kat lost her mom really young. Brienne never met her mother. Uh, that was a good line that I that I'm sure the mothers out there appreciated. Where Brienne is talking about, she's reacting to learning that Kat's mom died on the birthing bed, and she says it's a bloody business. And Kat rep- re- replies, "What comes after is even harder." You know, talking yes. about <laughs> raising the children, and. Uh, that's funny because when I saw this scene, I was a new mom. Oh, yeah. Still. Yeah. Um, I don't even think that my son was born yet. Um, and I thought that I knew what that meant. And I didn't. Not not until now when I saw it just yesterday uh, or two days ago. And I heard her say it again. And, and it like, had much more meaning. <laughs> this you were like, oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I, it's the difference between being like a mom with an infant and then being a mom of a six and four year old where you're like, yeah, no cat's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That line stuck out to me. I figured that would have a lot of meaning for people. Um, so I like this part too. You know, like I said before, cat probably sees her as an Aria and, um, yes. And so they sort of start bonding about these type of things and cat is comforting Brienne and telling her, you know, it's not, it wasn't her fault that Renly was killed and Ren, Renly's enemies are Rob's enemies as well. It, it finally comes down to. And uh, she, uh, Brienne says to her, well, I, I do not know your son, my lady, but I could serve you if you would have me, you know? And the look mm-hmm. on Kat's face, she's sort of stunned. This is so significant. This is like the first time in Kat's life where she's had somebody that wants to pledge pledge fealty and loyalty and, and serve and service to her. You know, usually she'd be seeing this with Ned. People would be pledging their service to Ned, the Lord of Winterfell. Mm-hmm. But here she has this this legendary, like, like anomalous female warrior who wants to pledge her service to her. And she's like, you, you can tell she's so honored by it. And um, it's just really a beautiful moment. And Brienne continues on, you know, on this path saying, you know, you have courage, not battle courage, perhaps, but I don't know, a, a woman's kind of courage. And I've mentioned this before because I, I think that's a really cool line. You know, there's different types of women's of strength that of women in this this show. And Brienne is like the physical warrior type. Same with Arya and and Kat and Marjorie and Cersei to some, you know, in, in terms of strength. Uh, and Daenerys are like that, that womanly, courageous type of strong so Brienne continues, I, I think that when the, and, in it, and I think that when the time comes, you will not hold me back. Promise that you will not hold me back from Stannis, you know, and she doesn't, she doesn't hesitate at all. When the time comes, I will not hold you back. And just such a powerful moment as Brienne, Brienne unsheaths her blade and ceremoniously places it on the floor in front of Kat as she takes a knee and kneels. And says that I'm yours, my lady. I will shield your back and give my life for yours if it comes to that. Mm-hmm. I swear it by the old gods and the new. And uh, 
cat responds in the in the traditional form, saying, I vow that you shall always have a place at my home and at my table, and that I shall ask of you no service that will bring you, di- bring you dishonor. I swear it by the old gods and the new. And I love it. It's just so cool. Like, <laughs> everything about it is just amazing. And um, it, it so totally mirrors that scene when in season six that like we were talking about before we got on air, where Brienne is pledging her service to Sansa, and Sansa is emulating Cat in that moment and and trying to remember the the um, the traditional form of this vow and Podrick Payne Podrick is helping, helping her, her. <laughs> helping uh, um, spark the uh, the lines in her mind as he helps her recall place at your table. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I just think that they're these two scenes are so great. And um, I just love Brienne. They're so delicate. So delicate. Yeah, yeah. I love and, Brienne, and man. I I do. I I love that. Um, you know, one of one of my favorite parts of of this scene is is that Brienne is so intent on being this warrior, despite the fact that she's a woman. Right. I'm going to be a woman knight. If you know, I mean, there's no word for it, but that's what she wants to be right right um but she doesn't look down on women mothers you know she she looks at cat as an equally strong and courageous woman just in a different way and the fact that she can see that and she she's not ashamed of being a woman despite her mannish in this world, mannish qualities, right? And she is rather mannish. Austin, that's my mother. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> oh, that was good. Good job. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, you know, she just, they both are so strong. They're equally strong. They're equally brave. They have this equal sense of honor. And at the same time, this is a mother that Brienne doesn't get to have, and this is a daughter that Catelyn misses. And it right. all culminates yeah, so into this one very beautifully written and played out podcast. scene. Podcast, yes. <laughs> we, you and I were brilliant, duh. <laughs> the show is lucky to have, to have us talk about it. <laughs> you said it, not me. Hell yeah, I'll say it again. Not now, but maybe another time. <laughs> but yeah, that was one of my notes um, was about the woman's sort of courage and the pledge. I'm glad that you brought that up. That's a very beautiful scene. Yeah, I love that scene so much. That's one of my series highlights for sure. Both times. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Both times. Um, so yeah, so that pretty much covers my number four. Cool. Uh, my number three, I, I'm going to go with talking about Littlefinger. Yes, um, nice. Littlefinger, man. I think at this point, anybody who listens to us talk about this, if there is a Littlefinger scene to talk about, it's going to make my top five. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> Love Littlefinger. Um, so I wrote down a quote from Littlefinger that I want to talk about a little bit because I feel like he reveals himself in this episode as much as he's going to um, until maybe the end, 
right? Interesting. So, interesting. You know, when he's talking to Loras, um, when Loras is ready to, you know, take on the entire army of Stannis, um, at, at, you know, over Renly's body, uh, Littlefinger, you know, I <laughs> do you watch How I Met Your Mother? No, no, I've never there's, seen it. There's this Marshall as a character is played by Jason Siegel, and he just always says he says this line that's like, "Is that what you desire?" And and so Littlefinger's like, he looks at uh, Loras and he's like, "What do you desire?" And all I see is right. Jason Siegel saying it in a mocking way, and so it's just, oh, that's so funny. It's, it throws me off every time. Baelish is mockingbird sigil too. But anyways, after that, he said, "I have always found." Uh, revenge to be the purest of motivations, but you won't have right. a chance to put your sword through Stannis. Not today. You will be cut to pieces before he sets foot on solid ground. If it is justice that you want, be smart about it. And I think this basically tells us what Littlefinger is doing. Um, Littlefinger, yeah. all he wants is justice for those who have wronged him or underestimated him. Um, and his vision of ultimate justice is being on that iron throne to show everybody that he is from a minor house and everybody did think that he was, you know, stupid or insignificant or not worthy, but he did it anyways. And he, and he did it on the backs of all these people. I think it's it's what fueled him to betray Ned. It's what fueled him to to kill John Aaron and start this war under false pretenses Um just revenge, revenge against everybody, against anybody that ever wronged him, you know? Um, right. Yeah. And I think that I that, and, and it's him being smart enough to wait when it was time to wait, to act when it was time to act. You know, he built this brothel with the high, with all of the high, um, people that came in, uh, high born, I, I don't want to say high born, but the, the powerful people, right. The rich and powerful that came into his brothels where he had, you know, the secrets and, um, he was able to listen. I mean, he looked like a perv as he was looking at what was happening, but he was learning, he was learning who liked, you know, weird fetishes or who wanted the thrill kills or who, yeah, knowledge right. is power. Just like Varys says, you know, they don't steal what's like the gold from the safe. They steal the right. letters and read them and put so them back. So he learned how to make a buck. The ledgers. And, and he learned about <clears throat> everyone around him and he used that to his advantage. And he almost had it. You know, he got cocky in the end with Sansa because he thought that he had her completely under his control and he underestimated her just as everybody has always underestimated him. And I think that right. that was <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That brings a full circle right. for him. That I'm oh, that's so, so in great. This one, so it, it's just you know I I'm watching this whole thing, this whole rewatch that we're doing with brand new eyes for Littlefinger now that we have his whole story. And I think that's why I talk about him so much because I feel that every scene with him, I learned something new with him, and he's so, so fascinating. So. <laughs> Definitely. So would you say that Baelish is your bae? No. Because <laughs> when I'm writing notes for the episodes today, this time I started, instead of typing out Littlefinger or Baelish, I'll just type uh, bae. I write LF. <laughs> LF. LF, nice. Bae. No. <laughs> you wipe that word off of your lips. <laughs> um. So, you know, uh. yeah, so I just, I just, um, I I did so much research on um, 
Peter Baelish and just where he started and, you know, him challenging Brandon Stark to the duel, um, you know, getting he he was almost killed until Catelyn, you know, pleaded for his life, which is probably why the only person he ever had any true feelings for was Catelyn. Um, maybe his only true blind spot was her. Right. Maybe. Yeah, probably. I don't know, because he her tried to manipulate her when he saw her in last week's episode. So He did. He definitely um, did. Did manipulate yeah. her for sure. But anyway, so that that that's my that's my point about Littlefinger today is that I think he gave the most revealing thing about himself by trying to coach Loris and how to fuel his own revenge for Renly. So so do you think that considering he said that revenge is the most pure um do you think that he is he finds himself to be pure? No. Is he like, is he like, is this part of his process of justifying his own like horrible behavior? Is he's convinced himself that he's the good I, you guy? You know what? I think he was using pure. In, oh, I, I think he absolutely thinks he's in the right. A hundred percent. But I also think that uh, when when it comes to the, the purest of motivations for him, I think he understands that his need for revenge is fueling it. And that fuel to his own fire is what's pure. And not him. Okay. Not Littlefinger yeah, himself. Gotcha. I, I don't know. That's my thought. I've always found that <laughs> revenge to be the most pure of motivations. You won't have a chance to put your sword through Stannis. Not today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my throaty voice, so I'm lying to you. <laughs> <laughs> He's yeah. great. Anyways, that's my number three. Oh, that was good. Really good. Good Thanks. points. What's yours? I like that how uh, how he you know was felt like nobody everybody always like underestimated him and then that's what brings him down in the end is underestimating Sansa like treating somebody the way that he was treated what a what a sucker. Um, my number three is the death of Renly. That was my number two, so let's combine them. Yay! What? Perfect. So. Renly and Kat and Brienne are chilling in the royal tent here, <laughs> and uh, Kat's telling telling uh, Renly that you know Rob has no hostility towards the crown if Renly's king. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And Renly's like, oh, you know, well, Rob can continue to style himself king in the north. That's fine, and he can, you know, the Starks can have Moat Kaelin in the north, um, but Rob needs to swear fealty to me. And she's like, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to happen, but you know, our friends, our families have been friends for a long time, so we'll work together. We'll figure it out. It's essentially what it comes down to. Um, and then the shadow demon enters, like the wind starts howling for a second and whoosh, shadow demon like <laughs> osmosis into the room and whoosh, takes form behind Renly and stabs him right through the fucking mm. heart. And Brienne screams. And Catelyn is just like, doesn't even react. She's almost like, what? You know, she's just. She's like Davos. Frozen, essentially. Yeah, yeah. She's like, what the fuck? <laughs> and so blood is just squirting out, and there's like black mist coming off the blade that's sticking out of his chest. And it's right after uh, Brienne took off his, his armor, too. So uh, she in the books, you learn that she's like traumatized by the fact that she's just taken his armor off and then boom, he's stabbed to death right where she yeah, was just that, working. Yeah, because that would have saved him. 
Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, who knows? Uh, but uh, so Brand screams and drops to, like, cradle Renly, and before she, like, has a chance to pick him up, like, two or three dudes come in and are like, you'll pay for this woman, you know, and this, for some reason they think that she did it. Well, they hate her. And, uh, yeah, true. So she takes them all out in badass fashion um <laughs> so sick Brienne is a beast and uh they looked so small in comparison to her did you notice that i know yeah i love it they they hire, she's big she's, she's I, over six i feel foot. like she was taller than me uh when i met her yeah she's huge and she's like nicest person ever um just so smiley uh really cool but yeah, the, those guys come in. They must have hired like some some kind of shorter guys just to emphasize her her height here. The way that they used to make door frames smaller in in Western movies to make the cowboys look <laughs> taller, you know that type of thing. Shoot from a low angle. Desi Arnaz used and, to wear uh, lips in his shoes. Desi Arnaz, Lucy, Lucy and Ricky. Who's that? I love Lucy. <laughs> Lucy, you got them splayed in the dough. Uh, that's great. So. She freaks out, kills those guys in spectacular fashion, and then Kat's like, we gotta get out of here. Like, you're not gonna do any good by, you know, following Renly to his grave. Like, the only way you're gonna be able to avenge him is by escaping. Like, we gotta go, we gotta go. And as soon as she says that, Bren's like, oh yes, I want to avenge him. Okay, let's go. Yeah, like, she's so simple, you know. First she's just like, I can't leave him. Then she's like, wait, you're right, I do want to avenge him. Let's get out of here. You know, like, She's just so, like so pure and <laughs> and simple minded, just like Duncan the Tall, who she's probably uh, descended from. Actually, I think George has said mm-hmm. that she is, in fact, descended from Sir mm-hmm. Duncan the Tall. Um, hopefully, we get a, uh, a a novella to explain that to us. That would be cool. A Duncan Egg novella where they go to Tarth or something. Okay, easy there, buddy. Winds of winter. Dream of spring. Yeah, I know. Then he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> and we're getting She Wolves of Winterfell too, which is um, the Dunk Duncan and and uh, Egg going to Winterfell, and that'll probably explain uh, how we end up having a Hodor at Winterfell. Hodor. Hodor. Um. So yeah, that's pretty badass. And so they they vacate out of the spot real quick, and then. We, the next part when we get back here is it cuts to Loras and he's just fucked. <laughs> Loras is fucked, but his armor is really badass mm. looking. Um, like seriously cool armor. Uh, we get to see it kind of close up here. Um, really awesome. Like I, I'm endlessly impressed by the, the costuming and aesthetics of this TV show. Would you agree? hundred percent. You know, we could probably do an entire podcast episode about the evolution of just the costumes. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's what stuck out to me the, at, the most at first immediately when I started watching the show. Within 15 seconds, I was like, this show looks like a million bucks. I love it. It looks like pure money. I thought that they hit their stride last season in a massive oh, way man. with costumes. Yeah. I mean, everything is just the yeah, I mean, it's endlessly improving aesthetically as well. Um, and then the dragons are just like amazing. Easily the best looking dragons I've seen. Um. But yeah, you know, we we talked a little bit about this scene. Baelish comes in and is pointing out that Stannis is almost here, you know, and Loras is like, you know, threatens Baelish at first. And um, it's funny, Baelish is like, you know, I'm I'm here talking to you, not Stannis, right? I'm just like to point that out, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is pretty funny. 
And uh, Loras is just heartbroken going on and on about how Renly would have been a good king and all that. And Baelish already knows that Loras is a, a tart, we could say. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's when Baelish goes into asking him what Loras wants most and everything. And we'd already talked about that. Um, so, yeah, they convince Loras to leave. And Marjorie sort of has an interesting moment here with Baelish after after Loras storms out where Baelish and she she's like he was so handsome you know he was handsome guy and Baelish is like yes he was you know blah 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 and, and your grace I think he calls her and she's like if if he wasn't a king you know you, like just calling yourself a king doesn't make you king and if Renly wasn't a king then I wasn't a queen you know let's mm -hmm. be honest here right and Baelish is like uh do you want to be a queen? You know, <laughs> she's like, no, I want to be, be the queen. Yeah. And she has like this look on her face. Um, and I was thinking, whoa, that would be a crazy power duo. Like, like, um, Marjorie and Baelish working together behind the scenes to get goals accomplished. And it, he ends up working with the queen of thorns, which is even crazier combo. No. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, so they're all kind of in league together. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was a reve really revealing moment for Marjorie. And we get a, you know, an insight into her motivation and her, like, just how blunt she can be and how straight to the point and, like, streamlined and efficient. And just, she's really, she can read people really well. She knows Baelish isn't, isn't like, she's not revealing anything Baelish doesn't know. She knows she can be open with him about this, like, in this moment. And it's not, like, giving away anything, yes. or, you know. She's she's awesome. Mm. It's excuse me. I'm sorry. It's it's very obvious that the Tyrells um, are up and comers. That they value the education of the woman more than their men. I mean, Marjorie's dad yeah, is a yeah. bumbling That's idiot. True. A buffoon. You know, they call him. You know, they're always talking down to him. Yeah, Mace Tyrell. Right? Yes, Laura's is an outstanding fighter, but a little short-sighted. But you look at the Queen of Thorns, you look at Marjorie, and you're like, okay, you know, this this house is in good hands. So it's interesting because I think every other house is designed differently. Right, and we forgot to mention, um, well, she hasn't shown up yet, but when we talk about strong female characters in this show, the Queen of Thorns is like way She's up a there. leader. <laughs> she's so epic <laughs> she's their club president <laughs> how about okay let's let's give a little book detail for uh to get people interested in reading the books how about her two henchmen in the books remember them the twins no what is you wrong with them? me i told she, you i'm tired she, she, before we started <laughs> i told you i'm exhausted <laughs> uh it's all good you've been great this is uh this is a uh you know, just something a lot of people don't remember because it doesn't necessarily play a huge part, but I always get a kick out of it. She calls them left and right <laughs> because they're twins and and they like they're always like, like to her left and right. They always got her back like to her sides. They're these like like six and a half, seven foot tall, massive dudes who are just like beastly protector guys. And yeah, I just think it's so funny. Left and right. Oh, she I calls love that. Them. Thing one and thing two. <laughs> she's so, yeah, yeah. She's, she's so blunt and just like doesn't give a fuck and is like is willing to you know 
talk to people in, in the way that like in in, in um in like a sort of disrespectful but like hilarious she's talking way. To the sand like, snakes in Dorn. She's like, you have something to say? No, right. didn't think so. All right, the adults are gonna talk now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely let the adults talk, little girl. Oh, she's so great. I agree. I love when uh, when she and Marjorie are sit down and talk with uh, Sansa too, and the way she speaks to Brienne as well. Uh, yeah, the Queen of Thorns is great. I agree. She is wonderful. Yeah. Be a dragon. Be a dragon. So yeah, that's that's my number three. Is just the death of Ren- of uh, Renly and anything you want to add about that? Well, yeah. So I'll piggyback on that a little bit, just because that was awesome. my next point, anyways. Was Renly's death? Do it up. Um, was about how it shifted alliances and it shifted the war. Um, oh, cool. You know, so we have like two different aspects of it. Yeah, so, uh, which is cool, I think. So you know, there's there's a couple things that happen at you know at the moment that Renly dies, right? Um, everything kind of dissolves almost immediately. It was. It's almost like you know the whole thing was made of sugar. Right. And and it was just somebody poured water on it and everything just like washed away immediately. You know, they I mean, Catelyn was right. They were playing at this king thing. Right. Yeah. And the way they describe Renly, too, he's copper. He's looks pretty, but there's no substance. Right. There's nothing there. And so and what happens when when Renly dies, you know, everybody's scattering basically you know you have uh the army has gone over to stannis and they're just happy to have lived through that right we learned from stannis that all of renly's bannermen have gone to his side except for the tyrells who have uh, fled right and the tyrells they move uh they they start to make their move into king's landing right which is the best thing ever to happen to sansa um yeah she um Ty, um, yeah, because they go over to to uh, Tywin. Yes, right, and they end up yeah coming in and leading the uh, Tywin's forces into the Battle of the Blackwater. Blackwater, and and Loras is wearing Renly's armor. That's right. Yeah, that's cool. And then Brienne swears fealty to Catelyn. So she, so it's like they all scatter to three different kings. I right, guess. that's true. You know? Um, yeah, it's cool. So it's interesting how, you know, this one guy who I guess everybody really believed in but didn't really want to hold it together after he died. It was like, oh, I guess, okay, this is over. All right, I guess we'll just go do the next thing we were going to do. Um, <laughs> Which is interesting. So, but I think with, other than that, we've talked about Renly's death pretty pretty extensively yeah yeah i think so poor renly kind of yeah you know he's, he was uh, the yeah. minute the minute laura's in season one was telling him oh you would be a good king i was like come on playing dude. to his pride too yeah you know just you know he's on the small council you guys get to have a relationship you know, he becomes king. Everything gets messy in this world, you know, like, let's just let it go. And then he yeah, decides I mean, to be king. I never understood it. Like, I I liked Renly. I thought he was wonderful. And I was sad when he died. But I never understood why he had a claim to the throne. Never got it. Yeah, he he doesn't. He's just trying to follow in Robert's footsteps and take it, I think. You know, just thought that was what would be best and tried to step up to do it. 
yeah. Setting a new precedent for the mean the this means of succession. Leadership <laughs> should not be a popularity contest. Yeah, definitely. So, anyways, what was your number one? So let's see. We talked about Danos. Dan, uh, Danos. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I liked Davos's line though. Loyal service means telling hard truths. You know, not just being a yes man. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought that was a good line. So we got more. uh, I guess I do have a little more to talk about my number two. We had Tyrion listening to Bronn as an advisor um, when he goes and meets with with um, Wisdom Helene. And I thought that was cool, too, that they used that from the books, that these pyromancers in the order, like the uh, the the masters of pyromancy, their title is Wisdom. Mm hmm. So he called him Wisdom Helene, uh, which is his you know, last name or whatever. So they go in, and this is also really cool for me because, um, and sad at the same time, because Wisdom Hel- Helene is played by my boy, Roy Dotrice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it was really exciting to see uh, Roy on here again. And sadly, of course, because he passed away you know, about a month, month and a half ago. Bron is warning that flinging the the cans the jars of 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 wildfire at the ships could be dangerous because they're going to be throwing stuff back and if somebody drops a, a jar of wildfire on the on the, the battlements it could set king's landing ablaze so Tyrion recognizes that this is super dangerous um and Tyrion wouldn't necessarily think about that military angle because he doesn't have a ton of military experience you know neither does Helene that Bronn is a fighter and he's thinking about logistics like that. And he's like, I wouldn't want to be fucking holding these green jars when somebody's flinging shit at me. So he he brings that up and Tyrion recognizes the danger of the plan and he takes over the operation and ends up, as we know, working with Bronn to devise the scheme that they end up using, which is putting all the wildfire on a boat mm-hmm. and sending that out into the uh, into the. Blackwater Bay to destroy Stannis slash Davos's fleet. Yeah. Um, Sadly, they left out the chain concept from the book. Um, But let's just say that there's a big chain in the book, in the books that are is really cool. Yes. Tyrion is involved with and uh, epically written. Yeah, really cool. There's a similar type scene in in a video game called Rise for Xbox. One, um, it's like a Roman game, and there's a big chain in that game too. Um, but yeah, they find out that there's seven thousand eight hundred eleven jars of wildfire at this moment. Tyrion looks shocked when he looks into this warehouse that's just full of these jars. There's there's lots of really cool moments in this scene. Some pretty epic foreshadowing when Tyrion says the contents of this room could lay King's Landing low, and that's totally foreshadowing how wildfire destroys the Sept of Baelor at in the season six finale. Winds of Winter. Oh, right? yes. And other potential caches of wildfire, which are hidden under other buildings in King's Landing, which may or may not still blow up in the future. I can't wait to see that. Um, and so Tyrion was right. The contents of that room could <laughs> lay King's Landing low. <laughs> I think King's Landing needs to blow up. <laughs> oh, man. I do. Uh, I hope it doesn't. I, I mean, I hope some of it does, but not all of it. I hope it all blows uh, definitely, up. Definitely not Magor's, Magor's Holdfast, because I like that castle, and I want to see more of like the internal hidden passages and stuff like that. 
that's one thing that's cool in the books too. I think they need to hit the reset button on Westeros. It's <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. An ELE extinction level event. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's uh, there's another funny little conversation here when Tyrion's talking about how if you piss on wildfire, your cock burns off. <laughs> And and Halion's like, yeah, you know, it burns so hot that it just fucking melts flesh like tallow. Tallow. Okay. I kept thinking he was saying jello. And I'm like, <laughs> I know that he's not saying jello, but I can't figure out what he's saying because all I hear is jello. It melts flesh like jello. <laughs> I'm like, that's descriptive. Like green jello. <laughs> they say that, um, don't they? Doesn't Danny say that? That um, the slaver who she buys the un- the unsullied from, what's his name? Krasny's monastus, that his eyeballs burst and melt like jelly. Yes. So gross and awesome. Uh, love it. <laughs> You're like, so, love it. I love it. I love it. Well, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so that was cool. I like that line. And then uh, at the end... Helene's all, he's getting all defensive about, you know, the disrespect of his order and everything. Like, you wouldn't talk to me like that if, you know, if, if, uh, was this, uh, Ares was still the king and <laughs> stuff like that. Cause they're kind of like, they don't buy it that the wildfire is really that strong. They haven't seen demonstrations of it yet. Right. And, um, I've compared wildfire to, you know, I've stated before that I believe that it comes from the concept of Greek fire, right. which is an anomalous, um, incendiary device that was used in warfare in ancient times uh, called Greek fire. Check it out. I posted a Wikipedia page about it, maybe a video about it on the, on the thing. I'll post something else about it so you guys can learn more about it too because it's pretty neat and it's it's a, like a real history thing that this is based off of so I think that's pretty cool. Actually, there's a, there's a, re- a great show on the History Channel right now called Nightfall with a K like, uh, like Armored Knights Nightfall. And uh, in the preview for next week's episode, they said something about Greek fire. Um, oh, so you so, hit record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I already had a hit record. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just got caught up with it. There's there's four episodes that have been out so far, and it's really good. If anybody wants to check that out, I highly recommend it. Um, while Game of Thrones is off the air, it's kind of like getting a Game of Thrones fix um, with sort of a um, Da Vinci Code type twist to it. Which is really cool. You piqued my interest. Yeah, it's like Game of Thrones com- combined with the Dan Brown novels, sort of. I love it. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. So, so wildfire, Greek fire. Um, this is just a really cool scene. I loved seeing the uh, getting a little glimpse of the pyromancers in the books. You get a much bigger glimpse, and they have like these these wild displays of. They're showing off the wildfire and what it's capable of, and they have these like machines that are like pumping wildfire all out in in these crazy patterns and stuff at the at the the pyromancer's chambers. And Tyrion's like, "Whoa, this is crazy!" I would have loved to have seen that visually. I know. Um, so that this is the type of stuff that you'll get to experience if you read the books. It's just like a whole other level that they take everything to in the whole series. Um, it's which the rest is awesome. of the iceberg. Yeah, so I'll, I'll mention again that um, I can I have the power to send free audio books as gifts to anybody who has not already received an audiobook as a gift from Audible.com before. So if you want, I right now book one isn't available, but 
if you want, I can send anybody that wants it book two, book We're three, on book four, book five. Two, so book two. Yeah, or I can give you the Duncan Egg novellas or the short story, you know, books, the compilations that include the prince, the princess in the tower or whatever. Like the other, any of the short stories. The History of or, Westeros, um, which the, I yeah, think the, is the best book. The World of Ice and Fire? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really cool. Tons of history, history and stuff. And uh, I, you also need to buy the hardcover of that, though, because there's lots of great art in it, which you're missing out on if you don't if you just get the audiobook. That hardcover lives in our bathroom. Nice. That's a lot yeah. of information, but that's where it lives. <laughs> <laughs> um, who was it? The Lord Too Fat to Sit a Horse, Wyman Manderley would you know have plenty of time to read it. There you go. Because that's what he does. He <laughs> he's known for his bathroom breaks, right? <laughs> um, yeah, that would be perfect for him. He's brushing up on his Westerosi history. So yeah, that pretty much wraps up my number two. I think we talked about Zaro and Danny. Uh, t- you know, Danny taking Jorah's counsel. Um, that's the last one there. So yeah. Cool. What's your number one? So my number one is a little lengthy. Uh, lengthy. It's um, I made a potential connection that I'm not too sure about and I'm still fleshing out. Um, but it's about, did you notice that there seems to be a connection with the many face God and R'hllor? Yeah. The, she, he, uh, Jock and called him the red God in this episode. So he, you know, when he's talking to Arya, he says only death can pay for life, which yep. we heard from Miri Ma's door. Right. Which I think we also heard from Melisandre. Uh, yeah, possibly. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure I've heard her say it. I'm gonna She have does to. not sacrifice anything when she brings John back to life, though. No, but his death paid for his life, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe yeah, Stannis' death paid for his life. I don't know. I don't know yeah, what happened true. there. Could be blood magic again. It's interesting too because she says that there's only that there's, you know, what does she say? There's the god of light and the god of death, right? And she, what did we say says, to the god of death? She thinks that the god of death is evil, though, and but she worships what she calls the red, the red god, like she's the red woman. Mm-hmm. But here, Jock and Hagar, who worships the god of death, is also calling the god of death the red god. But he worships so, the many-faced god, right? And it also calls it the red god. Right. So So is it one and the same, right? Exactly. Is 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 the religion of Relore like misinterpreting this duality as one like this well, this single deity as being a duality and because it does seem that Melisandre worships an evil god that burns, you know, little children and stuff like that. So Yes, but at the same time if that red god is fire and fire is power and we're about to go into a war for the long night with the night king who is riding an ice dragon and he is of ice you know it goes to the larger theme of fire and ice um right combating each other right true so it it makes me want to step back and look at kind of all the religions of Westeros that you see that are actually doing something, right? I mean, the seven are just people that you pray to and the old gods and the new, they're not really doing anything. But we've seen R'hllor and we've seen the many-faced god. These two are the only ones that are doing something. 
that you can see tangible evidence of in this story. And are they the same? Um, When you see Quaith in Karth. um, She says she's no one. She says she's no one. Correct. She says she's no one. Hang on. Right. Um, She intermingles both elements of each faith. And where I wrote it down. She said, ah, uh, she says she's no one, but she comes from a side where uh, Melisandre is from. She actually, her mask that she wears is um, elongated hex- hexagons, which oh, is right. exactly the same shape that Melisandre wears in her pendant. And it's seen Interesting. In, in her clothing. Um, it Because her clothing is red, you can't really see it, but there is a pattern on her dress that is an elongated hexagon. It's interesting, too, though. Her clothing is red and Quaith's mask is red, wood, red. wood like wood with, wood with red lacquer. So, uh, yeah, red. And they're both talking about fire and they're right. So it's okay. You're no one. Jaquina Gar is no one. Melisandre is a servant of the Lord of light. There's this element of fire. There's this element, you know, this element of, of blood magic in, in both instances with the fact that the many face God is taking faces and they're using it later. And, and Melisandre talks about the, you know, the Lord of light and then the Lord, the darkness as well, like the duality. And then you have the, mm-hmm. uh, the house of black and white, which is white and Correct. black, you know, that duality again. That, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's crazy. So there's just a lot of hints of it though, in this particular episode. Yeah. And right. Quaith creates that bridge, like you're saying, combining elements of both together. Um, and we're going to see her one more time later in this season. And she appears um, more in the books, too, um, which is really cool. Quaith, oh man, what an interesting character. The concept of glass candles, remember? Yes. Like, oh man, mm-hmm. you got to read the books, read the books, read the books. <laughs> That should just be like the mantra as we talk in the background. Read the books. Read the books. Oh, but then but then Quaith is talking about protecting um, Daenerys, right? Right. And she's saying how important she is and how, you know, she she is the, the mother of dragons. And uh, I am no one, but she is the mother oh, of man. dragons. She needs true protectors now more than ever. They shall come day and night to see the wonder born into the world again. And when they see that, when they see, they shall lust for dragons are fire made flesh and fire is power. Oh man. I can't wait to hopefully learn more about Quaith at some point. I really hope that she comes back in the show and we get something with Quaith. Well, I think we have a red priestess. Maybe that's Quaith. Yeah, that's what that's that was going to be my thought when she showed up at um Kinva- Well, she Kinvara. showed up at Marine. Kinvara is her name. Yeah, the one that showed up in Marine and and freaked Varys out. Yeah. Would yeah. you like to know what the voice in the fire said when the man cut your balls off? <laughs> He's like, I'd like you to leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. So anyways, I, um, you know, we, you and I, we like to talk about religion a lot and the different religions of this, this show. And I feel like we got a really good um, connection here with two of the, the main religions and uh, of, um, 
of this world. And they are the religions um, that are doing that, that have the tangible evidence of power of any, yeah, of any forward progress in, in the story for the teach for the uh, characters. It's crazy. So, yeah. Good one. What's your number one? My number one is just the, uh, the introduction to wildfire. Um, yay. Yeah. So, uh, there's that, but we can, um, we can talk a little about a bit about another aspect which we didn't talk about, which was how Tyrion found out about the wildfire. Oh, with Lancel. Yeah, it's so funny. Tyrion and Lancel are sitting in the little, uh, the little, what would you call that thing that they're sitting in? Carriage? <laughs> People like carry it around. <laughs> carriage? <or something. laughs> little dwarf carriage. I loved it when he fell out of it. Yeah, he kicks him out on his face. Um, but Tyrion is just fucking with Lancel as he always does. He loves playing with him. So funny. And he's like, if the vile allegations about my brother and sister are true, would it make Jamie more or less likely to kill you? You know, the smart money would be on more likely, but then perhaps his own unnatural urges would give him sympathy for yours. <laughs> and Lancel's just like, no. He's like, I swear, they're making wildfire. I'm not just making it up. I swear it. I, Lancel Lannister, swear on the old gods and <laughs> Stop. the new... That's, that's enough. Even torturing <laughs> you is boring. <laughs> oh, he part. is such a wimp. Yeah. And then so he's like shoes him and he's getting out and he kicks him out onto his face and demeans him even further by looking him in the face and telling, telling Lancel, tell Bronn to kill you if anything should happen to me. And Lancel looks up at Bronn, please kill me if anything should happen to Lord Tyrion. <laughs> <laughs> and runs off like Napoleon Dynamite. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, T- and Bronn kind of says, it will be my pleasure. <laughs> Yeah, did you notice that Bronn always has his hand on the hilt of his sword? Absolutely. Either on the hilt of his sword or his uh, kukri. He is always ready. Yeah, and let me tell you, I have that same kukri. Um, My friend brought it back for me from Nepal. Uh, it's fucking badass. That blade is heavy. It's a That's hacking awesome. weapon. Like you could, it's a hacking weapon. You don't want to be in the way of that blade. It's heavy, really blade heavy. I don't want to be in the way of any blade, Duncan. Especially None not that them. blade. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's always got his hand on on it. You know, he's he's uh, cocked and ready for action at all times. Agreed. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was really funny and that pretty much, you know, wraps up the, the wildfire talk. Got any notes you want to talk about? I know I think I have a bunch of notes. I have one note, um, in particular that we didn't talk about. Um, so it's a hypocrisy of our mother of dragons. Um, you know, she is very against slaves. She's, you know, the breaker of chains. And, you know, she used to be, she was sold off to her own husband as well. But she looks at one of her closest friends, Doria, and she tells her, basically, you need to go make him happy so that, you know, we can learn some more about him. So she pimps oh, out her friend Zaro? to Zaro. Oh, I didn't even catch that. I didn't, I, I don't even remember that. That's wild. That's hardcore. Maybe she thinks that Daria won't care because she was like a pillow girl or a, a pleasure house girl. Still, Either way, though, it's still messed up. Yeah. Yeah. She's still pimping out her friends for her own benefit. I think once she meets Missinde, it all changes. When she, 
because Masinde was the first person I think that she met that was truly affected and and hurt and traumatized. Masinde. Oh, Masinde. Wait, wait. What do you mean? Truly hurt and affected, traumatized by what? She was traumatized from what she used to have to do as a slave. Right. 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 Doria didn't care. Yeah, she didn't seem she to be like, too oh, affected. Okay, at least. Who, whose penis am I sitting on this week? <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. You know, I mean, some people, you know, are totally cool with that. That's totally fine. You know, to each yeah, their own. Some people love man. it. Yeah, some people love it. I've seen interviews with sex workers. You know, where they're like, "I do it because I like it." You know? Yeah, great. Yeah, whatever floats your boat. Yep. There's, you know, there's definitely demand for it. A little bit. So let's see. There's some funny Cersei and Tyrion stuff uh, where Gosh, they hate each other. <laughs> yeah. Tyrion's telling Cersei that Renly got murdered and they're talking about the suspects. And he's like, some people say Cat Stark did it. Some say one of his own Kingsguard. Others say Stannis himself. Cersei's like, I say well done to those people, you know, and Tyrion's like, you're a fucking idiot. Um, that means all of Renly's armies are flocking to support Stannis, you know, so no, it's not good. She's an idiot. Yeah, and and Baelish is there, and I have in my notes, Bay says we can outspend them three to one. Oh, no, Cersei says Baelish says that, right? Yeah. And then Tyrion says, uh, you know, that you have too much respect for money, and that uh, he he also points out that uh, Marcella will be safer in Dorne. And she's like, you're so clever with your schemes and plots. And he's like, schemes and plots are the same thing. <laughs> I, I loved weird. that line. Like, yeah. you can just see him, see her going, do, do you read? Have you ever read? Like, do you know what that is? <laughs> yeah, he he's just shutting her down on every point that she says and like, you know, well, like proving how he... Well, she's drunk, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, true. So that's pretty funny. I also really liked um, the moment when Bronn and Tyrion are walking through King's Landing, and yeah. right, and there's a street preacher, like a like a, a dude who's like stirring up drama against the uh, the king, and he's talking about the incest of the Lannisters, and Tyrion's like, it's hard to argue with his assessment, which I thought was pretty funny, you know. Incest spawns a monster king, a you know? demon monkey. I'm trying yeah, yeah, yeah. to save these people. <laughs> yeah, so that's the other thing. He's like, a dancing king prancing down his blood-stained halls to the tune of a twisted demon monkey. You know, he's like, oh, you can't. You have to admire his imagination. And <laughs> Bronn's like, he's talking about you. Talking about you, fool. <laughs> right, but this is funny because the twisted demon monkey thing references, and I, we're always talking about historical stuff that's referenced in the show, like Stark, Lannister, York, Lancaster, you know, uh, stuff like that group wildfire greek fire um so here we have Tyrion being called the twisted demon monkey and this mirrors a character in chinese mythology called sun wukong and he's also known as the monkey king monkey king and he's uh who is described as a twisted monkey a twisted demon monkey or monkey demon um literally it's like so the exact words are like are describing Sun Wukong and Tyrion and they have all kinds of um like parallels and things that they that they do the same like there's this this mythic mythological mythological character is heavily influencing the Tyrion character I'm not going to go over it all right now cuz I didn't have time to pre- prepare all that but I'll post a link on our podcast page 
to an episode of another podcast called The Mythical Astronomy of Ice and Fire, and he goes over all of the Tyrian connections to Sun Wukong, and it's mind-blowing. It's like super, super wild. It's really book spoilery, though, so don't watch that unless you're ready for book spoilers regarding Tyrion, but that's really interesting stuff. Sun Wukong. I'd like to to listen to that. Yeah, check. Yeah, I'll post it. It's so cool. Cool. Um, Yeah, so there's that. Let's see what else I got. Um, I thought it was funny, like the whole tier, the whole uh, Theon scene when he he's like, "I'm your captain," and they're like, "Yeah, sure," and they leave him on the shore. And uh, Dagmar Clefjaw shows up, uh, and basically tells Theon, like, you, you know, you're following the orders of Balon. He's like, "These guys are all real Ironborn. Do they follow orders, or do they do what they want to do?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." And then he basically tells Theon what to do, and so Theon thinks that he's doing what he wants to do, but instead he just goes from doing what Balon wants him to do to what Dagmar, Dagmar wants him wants to do. Him to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is hilarious. And, Poor um, Theon. Yeah. He's and, everyone's puppet. Yeah, totally. He's It's brutal. And uh, so there's this one guy, the guy who like kind of tells Theon off, he's like, I've been reaving and raping since before you left Balon's balls, Captain. You know, and, and I'm like, ugh, these Ironborn are the worst. <laughs> just like their ideology is just so crooked, you know. Agreed. Yeah. So every time, you know, anytime they're talking, I'm just like, oh, these people are horrible. Um, so that was cool. I thought Tywin had sort of a telling scene when he was describing Rob and saying how Rob's not going to fail, not without our help. Like they need to be cl- like clever and figure something out. This is like sort of what leads to the uh, the Red Wedding plot. Um, right. is like this exploring different trains of thought for coming at Rob because he's been so successful with military strategy and it's it's pretty impressive uh, to be able to outwit Tywin in the manner that he has thus far and Tywin is not happy about it and the only way that Tywin can get him killed is to cheat it right to I mean, cheat they it they cheated that yeah that was a and, complete dick move and you can tell that this is like really bothering Tywin too, because as his cousin said, they'd been up all night discussing this. Mm-hmm. Like they have been up and like working hard to figure out how to combat Rob. So this is like a serious threat, and Tywin is taking it seriously, and that says a lot. Like that's that means that you know Rob is a serious force to be contended with, which is uh, sort of significant. Even though he doesn't want to be king. Yeah, it's so funny. He's just so pissed off, and I like. Uh, we get to see Arya interacting with Jock in this episode, and she keep like sneaks up, and a girl says nothing, like keep your mouth shut, you know, shh, like don't scream. He's basically saying a girl keeps her mouth closed. No one hears, and friends may talk in secret. Yes, <laughs> a boy becomes a girl. <laughs> and she's like, I was always a girl. <laughs> he's like, I was a man always, always knew. And I was always aware. (laughs) A girl keeps secrets. It is not for a man to spoil them. (laughs) Jockin is fucking cool, man. I love him. I love him so much. (laughs) He's just so he's such a smooth operator. Um, And so she's like, "You're one of them now." And he points out that you know you're pouring water for them. Like, what's the difference? You know, they both we both had a choice. We both are surviving. Um, and he then goes on to say, a man pays his debts, you know, and that's when he said that, you know, the red God takes what is his right. girl and only death can pay for life. You stole three deaths from the red God. We have to give them back. And it cuts to a shot of Arya 
that's sort of like a third like a like a third person shot from sort of next to Jock and and it shows Arya reacting and she looks terrified. Her hair is like dangling over her eyes and she's like wide-eyed and sort of like shaken. She's like oh, you can hear her breath as she thinks that like the red god is going to collect with her life or something. And he goes to say speak three names and a man will do the rest. Three lives I will give you, no more, no less, and we're done, you know? And she's just like, what the fuck? And, you know, then at the end of the episode, obviously, the the tickler tumbles from the battlement with his head spun around backwards like the exorcist girl, and uh, Jockin's just like, you know, points one finger up to his eye, that's one, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, and that was like a total test for her, you know? <clears throat> she's like, all right, you say you could do it? Here, to kill this guy. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shoot, that, yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that. She was like, prove it, you know? Because that wouldn't have been guy. her first pick if she had really thought that he was for real. Yeah, potentially, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Uh, she she could have been like Tywin or, you know, Joffrey. Cersei. Yeah, Joffrey. Illin Payne, the mountain, Tywin, Cersei, Joffrey, <laughs> the tickler, Polliver. <laughs> I have a list. Would you like to see it? (laughs) Yeah. You can only pick three of them, though. I love how she ends up manipulating him into uh, killing more than three people, too, which is pretty badass. Uh, She outwits the god of death repeatedly. Oh, yeah. Um, In more ways than one. Yeah, so sick. Like I said earlier, cheating with the cat, too, and and then escaping the uh, the order of the House of Black and White. Uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty wild. Arya is <laughs> she outwits the god of death, man. Uh, how many times can you possibly do that? Oh, I liked. Um, we talked a little bit about it, but the the Night's Watch is trudging northward, and John is talking with with Jor about Corin, who ends up showing up. And it's sort of like a passing moment, but Gilly or Sam is walking by and he's like, it's beautiful up here. Gilly <laughs> would know. love it. <laughs> like he's fucking rambling about Gilly. Like he's going to be busted. You know, like everybody knows like that. You're like head over heels for this girl. You just took your vows, man. You know, and it just shows again how little of a fuck Sam gives. Um, he's just a habitual line stepper. Right. I love <laughs> as, him. As Dave Chappelle, or as Charlie Murphy said. Um, so they're setting up shop at the Fist of the First Men, which is a really significant location. Really cool. See, um, you know, what happens there, the craziness. And they're like talking, what do you think they were like, the First Men? And Dol- Dolores said, it's like, stupid. Smart <laughs> men don't find themselves in places like this. <laughs> and John's like, they were afraid. You know, they were, they were running from something and then they hear a blast and so they a little bit we get a little (laughs) bit of explaining to the audience here what's what the significance of the blasts is again so we learn you know sam and they all refresh for us again one blast means rangers returning two blasts for wildlings three for white walkers three for white walkers yeah, and it's hasn't it's been, been a thousand used in a thousand years, years but it's yeah. three for White Walkers. And so it sets up it sets up that ominous, you know, like that those moments in the future when they hear a horn blast and they're north of the wall, and they're like, oh, one blast, Rangers, and then they hear a second blast, and they're like, fuck, Wildlings, we gotta hurry up. And then a third blast, and they're like, oh my god, White Walkers, is, like we gotta get the fuck out of here. We're you know? Losing our fucking minds. <laughs> yeah, and Dolores Ed and and Gren like abandons Sam. 
who's uh. left to face the White Walkers alone, and that, that one just like looks right at him and points forward and screams, and why don't they kill him there? It's crazy. I know. I can't wait to get to that episode. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Um, so we get to see Danny with her Dracarys training with Drogon, which is pretty cool. And Drogon squeaks a little and then roasts his meat. And she's like, they'll be able to eat on their own soon enough. They'll be roasting villagers uh, all day. It'll be wonderful. They're going to kill off the Tarly line. Yeah. <laughs> Toasted Tarleys. Wait till you see what I can do with this with this dragon. Right. Um, and so uh, Daria uh, gives her the dress. And and Jiqui, or whoever the other handmaiden is, the non-Daria handmaiden, seems like she's not stoked with Daria for some reason. And she Probably because she knows she's a giant fake. Yeah, which we end up finding out shortly. But this is sort of a little foreshadowing uh, with, yeah. you know, like a little tension being built up towards Daria here with uh, the other handmaiden. Because um, as we know, Daria ends up being locked in the safe with Zaro when, <laughs> right? Great moment. Yeah. Well, when, when. I'm uh, sorry, Khaleesi. You're like, yeah, you should have thought about that before you fucked with me. Yeah, that's hardcore. Yeah, that's a that's a terrible death. Yeah, suffocating and, and, and star- or starving, whichever comes first in that in that safe. Probably suffocating, I imagine. Um, <sighs> so yeah, she points out it would be. I thought it's a good point from the other handmaiden, Jiqui, probably to to say, you know, you should wear the dress because it would be, be rude not to. And hard to argue with that, you know, they're they're hosts and whatnot. Um, so they're in the meet that the the feast or whatever, and Danny looks over and sees the two Dothraki guys like touching the statue and she's like what the fuck is going on over here and Jorah is so funny here Malako says the statue is too heavy to carry <laughs> the other guy says Malako is an idiot and they can pry off the gems and rubies <laughs> and cut off pieces that they can carry and Danny has to explain to them that stealing is wrong guys you know this is not what we do yeah, <laughs> yeah this is not what we do uh, we don't do that you know we don't <laughs> we don't steal little children, uh, especially not from people who save us and take us into their homes. Um, so that was pretty funny. And they're like storm off, kind of like, fine. It was fine, like she mom. was um, disciplining her children at a party. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, everybody ends up calling her Misa, too, right? So she is mother. the mother, yeah. Like, yeah, which is so funny. Um, so there's an interesting conversation where she says that her brother says that the used to say that the only thing that Dothraki are good at is stealing things that better men have built. And Jorah says, that's not the only thing. They're also good at killing the better men, right? And I like Danny's response to that. That's not the type of queen I'm going to be. You know, so that's cool. Foreshadowing her, you know, positive morality. Um, I think it was later in the episode where, um, yeah, it was later when, when Jorah reaffirms that goal by saying that you you deserve to rule You're, you know people like you don't come around all that often which helps motivate her in a positive direction which is good yeah her her character is very much shaped by her experiences in essos and and she very and by her she advisors. learns exactly who she wants to be and who she does not want to be right and um yeah jor is a big part of that as well which uh, i love how Jiqui or someone says, uh, you, you know, you'll listen to advisors and if, if none of those solutions are right, you'll come up with the solution. You'll do what's best no matter what. Like if they don't have the right answers, you'll figure it out. Like, yeah, I love it. 
Then Pyatt Pre shows up <laughs> with his lips all stained from the the shade of the evening and his teeth, you know, all so stained creepy. from the hallucinogenic flower that they ingest regularly that the warlocks do at the house of the undying. And he multiplies himself and he's like, look into the crystal, Danny. Look into the stone. And I'm like, fuck, don't look. He's going to hypnotize you, you know, or something. <laughs> don't do it. Just don't do it. Just walk he's away. He's too weird. Uh, and he is creepy looking. Yeah, and so multiplies himself. And cast him so perfectly. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Great casting. I'm immediately, like, uneasy yeah, he just when, looks when I so see evil. him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then all the guests applaud after he multiplies and like does this, this magical thing. And Zaro is convinced that you know they drink the shade of the evening and think that their parlor tricks are magic. But it turns out that since the dragons are born, their magic is actually magic, and they no longer need the parlor tricks as much. The same thing is happening with with Melisandra and uh, with with um, Red priests and priestess, priestesses in, in uh, Volantis, etc., as we learn um, when Tyrion is, you know, going through the city with Jorah, I believe, um, that magic is returning with the dragons, it seems. So um, cool. Yeah, so then we see Quaith, which we talked about, but she says, I'm no one, which is super significant, and I have in my notes, is, is Quaith a faceless person, you know, and so that's pretty cool. Um, then we get Rickon smashing nuts as a resident asks for help to guard his flock, and Bran sends two orphan boy or orphan boys to watch no, the flock. Orphan boys, yeah, and those are the guy, the two kids. I somebody point one of our listeners pointed this out. Um, we'll get to that in the feed that back, but these are the two boys who later die mm-hmm. um, when when Theon crisps them and tars them uh, and everything. And they they discover they're informed that Torin Square is under siege, and I imagine this is named after Torin Stark, the king who knelt, or some Torin, one of the Torin Starks. And uh, here we have a, a sort of Ned Stark esque event as Honor ends up doing in the Starks yet again, as Bran says, you know, we can, you know, one of the guys says we can we can round up two hundred men to go help with the siege at Torrin Stark and or at Torrin Square and Bran says, you know, if we can't protect our our own bannermen, why should they protect us? You know, it does the noble, honorable thing and sends the uh, the men to Torrin Stark. But or to, to Torrin Square. I keep saying Torrin Stark. But then that turns out it turns out that Torrin Square was a diversion so to, that they could take Winterfell. So that they could take Winterfell. So doing the honorable thing ends up doing in the Starks again as Bran does the honorable thing just as Ned always does and uh, you know it ends up getting him almost killed or getting him publicly killed where everybody thinks he's dead and Winterfell burns because of it I mean but he did the right thing you know so it showed great courage as a leader um, and gives us insight into Bran's character which is good like he seems like a good guy and I wonder how being the computer brain in season six and seven will affect that like it seems to like almost have dissociated him from the concept of morality as he just becomes like a uh like a an observer like a timeless uh entity you know it's kind of wild like whatever happens happens type thing um we'll have to see how his morality is affected by merging with the werewood network essentially but we it cuts to Bran talking with Asha about the three-eyed raven, uh, which I thought was pretty interesting. And he asks her, 
what do they say about the three-eyed raven north of the wall? And she doesn't give him a straight answer. She says, you know, they say all they say all sorts of crazy things north of the wall. Um, and and so I'm wondering, like, oh, I wonder what kind of crazy things those are. Why doesn't she want to tell him? And then it turns out that Bran had his dream that Winterfell was, you know, Taken flooded by, by the, the ocean. ocean, by the sea. Yeah, which obviously is prophetic and symbolic for it being captured by the Pike. Iron Islanders right. yeah, in the near future. And then, uh, <laughs> then my last note is just about um, Arya watching Gendry as he's smithing. And um, she's so funny. He he pulls off the sword and and you know I, I'm sure like most of the women watching are like oh my god Gendry's shirtless. Arya is just oblivious, to not even like thinking about Gendry like that or at all. She's just like you should fan, you should stand side face. <laughs> you know you're using the wrong technique. <laughs> she doesn't give like, a. I'm fuck. practicing. If you're gonna practice, then you know practice for a yeah, fight. Yeah, you want to practice like you like like you're gonna perform. You know, yeah. So that's a great point. Um, always give it 110 percent. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much covers it for my notes. Anything else you want to mention? No, I'm good. Uh, all right, we will be right back with the news. And we're back with news about Game of Thrones. Our first item is an article from WatchersOnTheWall.com. Game of Thrones holds its record as the most torrented TV show with Season 7. Official Game of Thrones viewership figures keep climbing year after year, with Season 7 smashing through the show's previous records, getting an average of more than 10 million people watching from... Um, watching the show on HBO's first airing, but many more people are watching through repeated airings, online services, international broadcasters, and also through less than legitimate means. More people torrented season seven than any previous season, but it goes further than that. Torrent Freak reports that this latest season, Game of Thrones held on to its title as the most torrented TV show for the sixth year in a row, that is, since season two. Despite. I'm one of them. Yeah, you are. Oh yeah. I don't yeah. know if we should admit that. <laughs> I might have to cut I'm, that. I'm just one of them. When I I was just trying to catch up, and I did have HBO, and somebody was very kind and helped me catch up, and I now have an HBO subscription. So okay, okay, you're legal. Blah blah blah. <laughs> Despite its plummeting viewership on AMC, The Walking Dead remains in second place as the most downloaded TV show through BitTorrent. And a new show took the third place on the podium this year Rick and Morty, which is one of my favorite shows. Love that show. Have you seen it? Mm-mm, never. I only saw the Walking Dead special that they did. Um, Rick and Morty did Walking Dead spe- special? Did they not do it? What did I watch that had a Walking Dead special? I don't I don't know. Rick and Morty's awesome, though. You gotta watch that. Super good. It has Pickle Rick, right? I'm Pickle Rick! Yeah. Yeah. Come on, Morty! Yeah, you definitely gotta watch Rick and Morty. It's so good. It's like, uh, easily my top five favorite cartoons. <laughs> I like that you have a cartoon category. I will, uh, <laughs> there's so many TV shows that you know, it's hard to crack the top five, but I wanted it to crack the top five in something, so I don't really have, like, a cartoon list or anything. 
but I mean, Beavis South Park's up there, Simpsons. you know. Yeah, I think uh, I think like I like Rick and Morty more than The Simpsons. Uh, but yeah, huh. it's okay. like cool science stuff, you know. According to Torrent Freak, the highest number of people actively sharing an episode across several torrents was 400,000 at its peak, right after the season finale came online. This is not surprising, as the first airing of the finale broke a record on HBO as well. It was watched on more than 12 million screens across the United States. That's wow. huge, for, especially for a paid yeah. network. Because, I mean, what, that's Walking insane. Dead is like 15 to 17 million, and that's like regular cable, right? So... It's yeah, their season seven premiere had 17 million people, I believe. Right. Yeah, so that's 12 million is huge for a paid network like uh, HBO. 17 million people that vowed never to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bad news, Jason. <laughs> no, I mean that episode. Oh, that episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Not the show. <laughs> of course, these figures only take into account those who downloaded the episodes through BitTorrent. Many used other torrenting or peer-to-peer -peer programs or other avenues altogether, such as direct downloads and streaming. To be honest, it's probably impossible to know just how many people downloaded Season 7. Um, I heard that more than a billion torrent downloads uh, occurred for Season 7. Wow. Yeah. I believe it. I saw another it. article that I was going to use, but I already had this one, so I figured we'd just do that, and I'd mention the billion. That's huge. I believe it. Yeah. I definitely believe it. You know, because a lot of people, even if they do watch the show, you know, legally, I could see people trying to just get it so that they could put on a flash drive and just watch it while they're on a plane or something like that. Because you can't download episodes on... Um, HBO like you can with Amazon Prime and Netflix and all of them like you can download episodes of of content and then you could watch it when you're offline somewhere else so right there's something to be said for that yeah, I mean if HBO could catch up with the times <laughs> and you know give you the option of downloading some episodes that you could watch when you're traveling or stuck in a waiting room or something you know maybe they'll have less less illegal downloads yeah maybe. That, i mean maybe that would be a pretty cool option for sure item article from floor eight Maisie williams's boyfriend got the perfect game of thrones question in trivial pursuit <laughs> i like this one yeah, i thought this was funny <laughs> Playing the board game Trivial Pursuit with your significant other can be fun. When your significant other is an answer to one of the game's questions, it can be a little scary. <laughs> when she is also capable of stabbing your eyes out and wearing your face, <laughs> it gets downright dangerous. <laughs> stabbing your eyes out. I like that. Yeah. Maisie Williams was playing the trivia game with boyfriend Ollie Jackson a question came up that put the poor guy in a precarious position. Get it right, and the game continues on as normal. Get it wrong, and that could mean the end of the relationship. The question, in Game of Thrones, what is the name of the tomboy daughter of Ned and Catelyn Stark? Okay, that's pretty easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he better get this one right, Williams captioned the image along with a sword emoji. There might not be an official needle emoji, but the one she used looks close enough. You could definitely take someone's face with that thing. <laughs> Williams never explicitly said what answer Jackson gave, but since he is still alive, we can reasonably assume that he got it right. Bullet, well, more like blade, dodged there. <laughs> that was cute. I like that. Yeah, I thought it was kind of funny. 
We're going to mix it up a little bit this week and do a sort of decoding thrones section here where we cover an aspect of Game of Thrones that has a historical or mythological background to it from our real world. So I think that's going to become a more prevalent part of this show moving ahead, hopefully. And uh, Give us some feedback. Let us know if you guys like that idea. Our next item is an editorial from winteriscoming.net. Game of Thrones as myth. Kyburn as the archetypal shadow. In this series, we take a fast and fun look at Game of Thrones characters and what traditional archetypes they fall into. What is an archetype? In fantasy and myth, certain types of characters constantly appear. Stalwart heroes, odd mentors offering talismans, threshold guardians and their tests, dangerous shapeshifters, otherworldly shadows, dark villains, sly tricksters, and more. As you scan the above list, you can probably drop some Game of Thrones characters into one category or another, or even into multiple categories. Yep. In describing these common character types, symbols, and relationships, the Swiss psychologist Carl G. Jung employed the term archetypes, meaning ancient terms of personality that are shared heritage of the human race. Uh, That's a quote from Christopher Vogler. Campbell argues that human beings are biologically hardwired to understand the symbolism and expression of character archetypes. Otherwise, we would be incapable of participating in the shared human experience of storytelling. As we segue into Game of Thrones characters, it's important to remember that the archetype is not a straight-jacketed category, but rather a flexible function of storytelling. Any individual character can and usually does express various archetypal traits or even moves from one category to another as the story unfolds. This time we dig into the mysterious and sinister character of Kyburn, the disgraced maester who quickly forms an alliance with Cersei Lannister. Kyburn performs a number of archetypal functions such as mentor and mad scientist, but his primary archetypal role is that of the Shadow. The archetype, known as the Shadow, represents the energy of the dark side, the unexpressed, unrealized, or rejected aspects of something. Often, it's the home of the suppressed monsters of our inner world. Christopher Vogler. Mm. Kyburn's intellectual curiosity regarding subjects considered unnatural and taboo has resulted in the revocation of his maester's chain by the Citadel. They found some of my experiments too bold, he explains in Kissed by Fire, Season 3, Episode 5. Kyburn is uninhibited by ethics or rules. This leaves him free to harness the powers of the darkness to perform good deeds, or at least deeds Kyburn himself deems necessary. Uh... The Psychological Function of the Shadow As we've seen, the character of Kyburn operates less as a reflection of Cersei and more as a manifestation of her own shadow inclinations. Cersei is a bitter, angry person who needs a hand grenade to throw, (laughs) and Kyburn both constructs and throws the hand grenade for her. As Vogler states, the shadow can represent the power of repressed feelings. Deep trauma or guilt can fester when exiled into the darkness of the unconscious, and emotions hidden or denied can turn into something monstrous that wants to destroy us. This energy can be powerful with an internal force of its own, and its own set of interests and priorities. Shadows often appear in stories as destructive and frightening creatures like vampires, murderers, and dragons. The merging of Cersei with the manifestation of her dark side, Kyburn, results in the creation of the abomination, the reanimated Ser Gregor. Like Victor Frankenstein, Kyburn explores taboo science in order to study and cheat death, and the resulting monster can be considered a child born of the Cersei-Kyburn union. Interesting. Right. Cool, right? 
Dr- mm-hmm. Dramatic function of the shadow. One of the dramatic functions of the shadow is to challenge the hero, but the shadow can also erupt out of the unsavory catacombs of a character's unconscious and, if not properly thwarted, take control. Christopher Vogler says, when the protagonist is crippled by doubts or guilt, or acts in self-destructive ways, expresses a death wish, gets carried away with his or her success, abuses his or her power, or becomes selfish rather than self-sacrificing, the shadow has overtaken him or her. Circe has long been overtaken by her own shadow, but she lacked the power to transform her dark impulses into action. Kyburn provides Circe with the ability to act according to her shadow side's most murderous desires. That's interesting because I, that I should we read the rest of this and then talk about this or should we talk about this now? Uh, we, we can talk about it now if you want. Sure. Well, I just um, that just made me think of maybe the moment where this happened for her was when um, when she had to do her walk of shame and she walks into the Red Keep and she sees that she has Kyburn and Sir Gregor on her side, and you can see that she has been overtaken by that shadow. Mm. Yeah. You know, she, she gets that resolve and determination and that vengeance just in her eyes, like almost immediately. <clears throat> you're uh, you're right, too, because the manifestation, the creation of Sir Gregor represents that, and that's also the first scene that he appears. Oh, cool. You nailed it. Good job. Um, okay, so Mask of the Shadow. The shadow can and often does wear the masks of other archetypes. Kyburn tried and failed to become a normal maester, but what he truly wanted was a platform where he can indulge his obsession with unnatural human experiments. But Kyburn is also able to apply his immense knowledge to heal people and, quote, save many lives. Kyburn's former pr- profession as a respected maester is akin to the mask used by Hannibal Lecter, whose day job as an esteemed psychiatrist hid the cannibalistic monster within. Hannibal also did some good by harnessing his genius and knowledge of his own affliction to help Agent Clarice Darling capture another serial killer in the Silence of the Lambs, thus saving lives. It puts the lotion on its skin. <laughs> this is the second week in a row yeah, that we're referencing this particular movie. It's awesome. <laughs> Humanizing the shadow. Shadows are better served in stories when they have depth and display a few positive qualities, such as kindness or perseverance. Kyburn, like all interesting characters, is not all bad, or at least one can argue he isn't all bad. He saves what is left of Jamie's arm, assists the little birds and their families, and eventually protects Cersei from the High Sparrow. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, uh, conclusion. Definitely. The end of season six left, left us with Kyburn as master of whispers and hand of the queen, crowning Cersei as she took the Iron Throne. They have become an inseparable team, both of them now more powerful than they have ever been before. Cersei has equipped Kyburn with the tools and influence to act according to her wishes and pursue his dark science to the maximum. Functioning as the shadow, Kyburn, with his great intellect, obsession, and uh, amoral practicality, turns Cersei into a far more deadly and effective player in the great game. 
Kyburn, like all characters, is the hero of his own story. Now that he has been unleashed and empowered by Cersei, Christopher Vogler sounds a warning. Beware the man who believes the end justifies the means. Tywin is another good example of the Machiavellian ends justifies the means uh, character in this story. And there's one more little thing that there was in this article that I thought was funny. They had like a list of traits of Kyburn with like characteristics and whatnot. And they have greatest mystery. And it said, uh, how does Kyburn reanimate Sir Gregor? He does a better job than Miriam Mazdur with Drogo, but worse than Melisandre with Jon Snow. And I thought that was just a funny little way to com- compare the effectiveness of the resurrections. That's interesting because, you know, we talked about earlier um, when we were talking about um, the warlocks at Karth. And, it's, and you said that um, you had mentioned... I'm sorry, I'm trying to think back to it for a second. Oh, sure. You had mentioned that magic had come back into the world with the birth of the dragons. Right. And so their powers were coming back and they didn't have to do their parlor tricks anymore. And so what's interesting here is that, you know, Kyburn did reanimate Sir Gregor, you know, in a time where magic what is had back. been re- reanimated wow. itself. Good right. Point. Yeah. Miri Mazdur tried to reanimate Drogo before, before that magic had come back. So I'm wondering how much of that has to do with wow. with it all. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Good call. Good yeah, great article, man. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I thought it was a good You could find. really dig into this and just, I mean, I feel like you and I, if we just kicked back and talked about just this, whole concept we could probably sit here for another half hour (laughs) yeah i think we should uh incorporate more of this type of stuff into the podcast in the future and get like you know start decoding the uh the mythology of the series and um you know mentioning the real life uh parallels and stuff like that i'd love that yeah you know once we get a date or a season (laughs) <laughs> of when it's coming back in 2019, we can start maybe having special episodes like that in between the rewatch to kind of space it out a little bit. Yeah, make sure we finish at a right, right about the right time. That's a good mm-hmm. idea. Because I like the idea. Um, a listener also mentioned that they loved our top five that we did last right, week. Right, the, uh, the top five most shocking moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that listener also, I cannot believe that we forgot the Hodor episode, <laughs> both of us. <laughs> yeah, and then we've also forgot the death of Jon Snow and um, a couple other things that another listener pointed out. Uh, Melisandre taking off the necklace. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, somebody that, that I know got really super drunk and told me that that happened before I read it, before I saw it, before any of it. The bastard. Busted. Throw him from the wall. <laughs> Oli. Oli. <laughs> Oli. <laughs> for the uh, watch. We can, we can laugh now because he's okay. Um, <laughs> or is he? Yeah. Does he have a heartbeat? Um, yeah, <laughs> but it would be fun. It would be fun to do like those top five moments, get a guest on, have yeah. everybody kind of talk about maybe like most despicable characters or you know maybe we could even have like a vote on our page to see like what kind of categories people would want to see covered yeah that'd be awesome and we could have people um we could have people send in voicemails with their top five or their top whatever and get as much feedback as we can 
we play it throughout the episode so that it's not all at the end so that yeah, we can talk that's a about cool it afterwards. Too. That'd be fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we can do yeah, we'll figure out some cool ideas for stuff like that. Cover Look at us brainstorming. Yeah, we'll cover some stuff like theories too, like um like uh um, Best and worst theories of how this story will end. Yeah. Or maybe we'll do some like book episodes too where we cover like secret identities in the books, like who is mm. you know, who is uh like Jack and Hagar at the end, what's he doing? Mm-hmm. Who is um Septa Lamour, stuff like that. I love that. There's all See? kinds of sorts of cool speculation. Yeah, definitely. You and I will be, uh, will be. What's higher than a doctor? What's higher than a PhD? Is there <laughs> higher than a PhD? Uh, a Tesla, yeah. Archmaster. <laughs> Grand Archmaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds good. Maesterette. <laughs> if Maester is like Mister, then Mace Maces. M- Maces, yeah, that yeah, like sounds Mrs. good. Mrs. 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 Maces, Maces, Kristen. Maces, Kristen. Arch Maces, Kristen. Arch Maces, That's why there's no women Macers. <laughs> I can't think of any good names for it. Yeah, you guys got the shaft. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, for people that are interested I, in this type of stuff, I posted a a link to the. Um, winteriscoming.net where they have a whole bunch of articles like this covering various aspects or characters compared to various aspects of mythological archetypes like a whole thing about Danny and the hero's journey or Tyrion and the anti-hero's journey or Ooh, do you want to cover one each week? Yeah, we could do this. Yeah, we could do that. That'd be cool. Oh, that'd be so fun. Yeah. Definitely a good idea. We shall. But yeah, there's that's all up on the on the Game of Microphones Facebook page right now. So if you guys want to go dive into that, you can uh, go to that winteriscoming.net link that I posted and uh, explore all those articles and comparisons to for yourself. Cool, man. Boom. Got some good stuff on that Facebook page. Yeah. So we will be uh, right back with Raven's Calls. <coughs> Moo. Angelica Garcia Decker says, I still hate this Renly death so much. Touching on the question from my last week about why the Starks would want Renly versus Stannis, I think it's because of how Stannis gives no wiggle room and will not be down with the king in the North situation. Renly was all for it. He was desperate to be Robert and saw Rob as his Ned Stark partner in crime, in my opinion anyway. I think that that's valid. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Lancel telling Tyrion about the wildfire, his eyes get really wide, just like right before it kills him later on. Oh, oh that's true. That's, that's very fucking true. great. That's, that's great. so funny. Yeah. Our, our introduction to wildfire is through Lancel, and it ends up killing him. That's amazing. Yeah, good, I like good, that uh, circle. Good call, Angelica. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Classic. Ugh, Theon is the most annoying ever. His smug face when he realizes he wants Winterfell is just such horseshit. I love the Dothraki dudes about to pull a party foul. Danny talking to the lady and then eyeing them up is me when I'm at a birthday party with my three year old. <laughs> me too, Angie. <laughs> yeah, me exactly. Too. That's classic. Thanks for uh, writing in, Angie. Gigi Lugo says, Hi, Duncan and Kristen. 
first time getting a chance to submit feedback, so this might be a, a lot, but I'm stoked. I'm still shocked by Renly's death via Shadow Baby with Stannis' face, as Brienne says. It happened so fast and just, bam, stabbed in the, in the heart by a shadow. LOL. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. Shocker. Mm-hmm. Brand of Tarth is so badass, killing the guards who said she was going to die because they thought she killed Renly. Totally. Mm-hmm. She just cut him down like Barristan Selmy, like, like a hot knife through butter. Amazing. Two quotes regarding Renly's death stuck out to me. You can't avenge him if you're dead, Cat to Brienne, and you can't avenge him from the grave, Marjorie to Loras. Yeah, good. Very much. We mentioned both those, but we didn't make that connection. Good call. I love this conversation with Marjorie and Littlefinger. If Renly wasn't a king, then I wasn't a queen. Do you want to be a queen? No, I want to be the queen. <laughs> it's the only time you'll ever hear me say that. Sir Duncan, I mean. Wanting oh. to be the queen. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, Lancel telling Tyrion about the wildfire and Tyrion threatening Lancel about telling Jamie he's been seeing Cersei. Also, Tyrion telling Lancel to tell Bronn that if he if he dies to kill Lancel, <laughs> that he does it as Tyrion pushes him out of the fancy box. <laughs> I like the fancy box. Emoji. Yeah, I think we yeah, should call it fancy box now. The, the fancy box, eh? It was. I was surprised that Tywin didn't recognize Arya, but I supposed he never met her before. Um, but he does quiz her on where she's from and asks her about Rob, which breaks my heart. She men- mentions warging and that anyone can be killed, obviously thinking of Ned. Love the stare between her and Tywin. Agreed. Danny and Drogon, too freaking cute. <laughs> Daria and Eerie. Okay, so it's Eerie, not Jiqui. I like that Danny points that out, points out that she's not interested in the money, and that the last time a man gifted her a dress, he sold her to call Drogo. Eerie mm. corrects Daria. Danny is not a princess; she's a Khaleesi. Right? Yeah, we got that good moment where Eerie sort of snapped at Daria and said, "She's not a princess; she's a Khaleesi." Yeah, they clearly great. don't like each other. Yeah. They've they've clashed about ideologies before as well. Remember in the conversation mm-hmm. about the 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 moon cracking and the dragons coming out, and um, oh, Eerie yeah. saying that, and Doria kind of was like blowing it off, like yeah, sure, Dothraki savage, you know. <laughs> back to uh, <laughs> back to our message. Creepy warlock is so bizarre. That is also true. It's so bizarre. Who is the How woman bizarre? who walks up to Jorah? Is she a faceless woman? I was wondering the same thing. When he asks, who is she? And she says, no one. Yet she knows exactly who he is. We forgot to mention that. Yeah, she knows exactly who Jorah is. Maybe because of her, uh, maybe from her glass candle capabilities, like, or something. Yeah. Um, She also says, fire is power. Yeah, really good catch. Um, she says, fire is power, and she uh, says, I don't know what that is supposed to mean, but I feel like it's important, LOL. <laughs> yeah, and we were sort of speculating about that with uh, the connection between the the R'hllor and the many-faced god. So yeah, there seems to be some important connection going on here. I wish Kat would have made it back to Winterfell. Sad, he says, crying. So sad hearing her say she has to get back to take care of her two youngest. That's true, we didn't really mention that either. 
then we can see that they need guidance as Rickon is just smashing all those things. And yeah, uh, yeah our, our reader, our listener here says Rickon smashing whatever it is when the farmers are telling Bran about the mountain attacking their livestock on orders from Tywin. Yeah, the kids are out of control, at least Rickon. Most notable point for me that I never noticed before, this is my third rewatch, lol. Bran says he dreamt of the sea coming to Winterfell. Is that a foreshadow of Theon coming to attack slash take Winterfell? He yes, also mentions ma'am. that Sir Roderick was one of them who were drowning in floating in the who's who drowned floating in the water, which foreshadows him being killed by Theon. R.I.P. Good point. We didn't mention that. Yep. Um, and that's a good catch. Yeah, we didn't talk a lot about Winterfell. Yeah, true. <laughs> Um, I love when Arya is giving Gendry fighting tips. So cute. I'm excited for their reunion. I Me agree. too. Uh, Gigi, thanks for writing in. Uh, Matthew Rep says, Poor Bran just sent those two orphan boys to their deaths by sending them to help that farmer. It's amazing how watching, knowing what's going to happen, can make such a small moment in a throwaway scene so meaningful. Yeah. Very True. much so. Yeah, Br- Bran just basically sent those kids to their death. It's hardcore. I mean, he obviously he doesn't know that. Um, yeah. Wendy Ott Eppers says, Cersei and Tyrion have a rare, honest conversation. Tyrion learns that Cersei is making wildfire. Davos makes his feelings about Melisandre clear. Theon gets some crazy notions in his head. <laughs> <laughs> I would say Brienne's one of my favorites, but I feel I say that a lot. Love her. She's so interesting. Agreed. Laura Willie yeah. Swink says, I so love Ma- Marjorie. Marjorie. She is, <laughs> <laughs> she is kind yet also <laughs> cunning and ambitious. Proof that you can be powerful and conscientious at the same time. Yeah. Avelino Rochino says, question, with all of Jack and Hagar's mad skills of assassination and disguise, how is it that he got captured and put in a cage bound for the north, needing Arya's help to escape? This kind of gnawed at me as I watched season two and then season five. Because he's Sirio. It was on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Wendy replies saying, yes, I thought that must have been purposefully. And Avelino says, yes, you would think it would have to be. Perhaps he followed her all the way after Ned's death. And Laura Willie Swink says, I think it was planned as a test for Arya. I still believe that Jockin is also Sirio Pharrell. Girlfriend, yeah. me too. 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 <laughs> Hashtag me too. Hashtag me too. Uh, it's a different kind of me too, though. Uh, Laura Willie Swink uh, says, Danny has a wild heart. Sometimes it burns with passion, anger or justice or love. Sometimes it softens with compassion, like her kindness to the oppressed and less than and less than. I heart her. Bo show. And my mom used to have a bunny named Me Too when she was like a little kid. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) We have some emails as well. Our first comes from Caroline Collins. Hi, Duncan and Kristen. Thanks for continuing the podcast through the holidays. It's kept me reading, watching, and listening through all the craziness, and I really appreciate it. Here are my thoughts on this week's show. With Renly's death, I realized our characters have no time to grieve for their loved ones. Both Brienne and Loras have to put their mourning on hold to save themselves and make important decisions that will change their future. That pretty much applies to all the characters that experience loss in this show. 
It really drives home the fact that everyone's security in this world is based on how close they are to their king and or or, or liege lord. And when that authority, authority is taken away, they're left with nothing and are dangerously exposed. Interesting that Jacken calls the many-faced god the red god. Everybody seems to be noticing that. I always assumed that he was referring to the Lord of Light, but we've said the Bravosi worship the god of death. Which is it? I'm still not sure. Maybe it will get clearer as we move ahead, but John's reincarnation and the Hound's visions have us all believing that R'hllor is definitely a power in this world, for good or bad. Mm-hmm. Yup. It's also said in Old Nan's stories that since Hall was enveloped in flames by Balerion the Dread, fiery ghosts still haunt the castle and people have been found randomly burned in the night. Not sure if, if Grimm intended to connect the dragon fire with the symbolic fire of the Lord of Light here in Hall, but it's a cool, or should I say hot, connection either way. <laughs> I do love Arya and Tywin. Such great chemistry between two amazing characters. Every scene is just electric. I'm almost certain that Tywin has an idea of who Arya is. He definitely knows she's hiding something. I think he wants to give her a chance to prove herself, which is a little out of character. <laughs> yeah, see, so I'm wondering the same thing. It feels like Book Tywin would just toy with her to get information, then take her captive. Mm. Sam says... <laughs> yeah. Sam says, I wonder what they were like of the first men as the camera slides right to reveal John standing, watching the horizon. We know that John has blood of the first men that through his mother and he may be Azora High come again. Yeah, I, was, I noticed that too, actually, the camera panning over to him in that moment. Oh. Kind of cool how they use the camera. Yeah, kind of cool how they use the camera to answer Sam's question. I'm not, I'm sure the first men were a lot like John. And yes, I'm sure they were scared too. Damn straight. Never noticed Dolores said before he came became Lord Commander, but he's really funny. <laughs> That's so funny. You didn't notice him? I love his sarcastic sense of humor. His Dolores sense of humor, you could say. I'm starting to <laughs> notice he always has something self-depreciating, de deprecating, and passive-aggressive to add to the situation. It's like, um, it's like having a long-haired Charlie Brown around. Good grief. <laughs> That's all for tonight. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> Thanks, Caroline. That was good. Always good to hear from you. Caroline, like Arbor One. I like it. Lady Caroline. From Allison Jehonet. Allison Jehonet. Duncan Hart. I absolutely <laughs> love the podcast. Keep up the amazing work. I'm a newer listener who has spent the last three weeks catching up on the podcast, and I'd love to share my theory with you. I've been itching for more Game of Thrones. Please send me the first audiobook, question mark. And this podcast certainly is certainly scratching that itch for me in the meantime. On to my theory. If Danny is the representation of fire and John of Ice, will he be able to ride the dot, 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 ice dragon? Is this a silly question? I would love to hear your thoughts, and I hope this sparks some good conversation. Thank you so much. Your new loyal listener, Allison. Smiley face. That's a crazy idea. What do you think? I think it would mean that John would have to die un unless he is technically <laughs> dead. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he, he's dead, right? He's an, a fire white. Well, we've wondered if his heart still beats. Yeah, I don't think it does. Right? Wasn't wasn't there something with George talking about the difference between ice whites and fire whites recently? And he basically classified Beric Dondarrion and Jon Snow as fire whites. 
and said that they're whites essentially they don't they're like they're they're not like they don't have normal circulation or stuff going on if if i remember correctly mm-hmm. um so it's i mean yeah that's interesting idea that'd be <laughs> that'd be so sick if john got like the most powerful dragon and just used it to like wreak havoc oh, on, what would he <laughs> on use the whites it and whatnot shredding the whites i guess with ice because it's ice fire it's, isn't uh, it well it, it it took down the wall that's right? true it, it, def- it defeated that ice magic so yeah i don't know it's like it's like a combination of ice and fire that you know the ice magic with the fire magic com- like dragons and the the white walkers combined and john himself is also the personification of the com- combination of ice and fire with his targaryen and stark lineage so maybe his mix of ice and fire could give him some sort of connection to the dragon with now that now has a mix of ice and fire um so that could line up theoretically everybody's been speculating that he would ride Rhaegal because Rhaegar was his father but it would make sense for yeah. him to have a connection to the dragon of ice and fire since he's the man of ice and fire <laughs> sort of you know I, I, I don't think it's going to happen I think that the, I, that the uh, Viserion will probably be killed um, and will be exclusively ridden by the Night King. Again. But it would be interesting. It would be an yeah, yeah. It would be an interesting twist for sure if John had the c- capability to connect with it somehow. Maybe due to his ice and fire heritage and his theoretical connection to the White Walkers genetically by a, a, and the first Night King potentially being a, uh, a Stark. Dark. Maybe he ends up being able to warg into the ice dragon and have it, you know, buck the Night King off its back or something and submit to John. Who knows? I think that, you know, it's going to be bad. Though. There, gosh, that that's that's a very cool train of thought. I don't know. I gosh, I anything could happen. I honestly believe that anything could happen. Yeah, there's so many cap- like possibilities and ways that mm-hmm. things could go. Um, it's fun I don't to think, think about. It, I don't think it's going to happen, but I think it's a really cool idea. Mm-hmm. And that dragon is super powerful. So it would be epic to see John. Drogon versus him. Viserion. Un- undead John. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like that's going to happen, and I'm not happy about it. It's going to be Viserion and Drogon versus... Or Rhaegal and, and Drogon versus Viserion. And I think Rhaegal is probably going to die if not drogon um before oh, some my type heart of intervention hurts kills about it. yeah yeah especially i don't you know, like thinking dragons. about dead dragons the whole dance of the dragons war where the targaryens you know turned against themselves and were vying for the throne and a bunch of dragons died maybe that's foreshadowing this fight of dragons and um you know some targaryen dragons dying i don't know i'm not i'm not feeling that positive about these dragons uh, longevity though yeah but that's uh, a bummer because i feel like dragons need to stay so so it to, to one of them the needs to lay but an our, egg or something but are dragons a good thing to be alive though yes yeah well selfishly yeah. yes <laughs> yeah i mean i would not It'd be hard to advocate the extinction of any species, <laughs> you know, from a moral standpoint. But there's definitely the capability for a lot of uh, destruction from dragons just simply existing. But, you know, you know, that's the way of nature, I guess. 
Yeah, I guess we'll um, see. Yeah, so yeah, we'll see. Great question. Thanks for uh, thanks for writing, Allison. Yes, thank you. Glad to hear from you. I hope to hear from you again soon. Yes, keep writing. Our our next email comes from Lady Liza Irizari. Irizari. She says, hi, Duncan and Kristen. I'm enjoying so much your rewatch of Game of Thrones. Your comments are right on the money. Your show has enhanced my viewing experience 100%. I agree. Thank well, you. not necessarily about us being on the money, but I agree that watching or listening to podcasts really enhances the TV experience. Um, yes. When you have people that you can listen to analyzing it and, you know, if, like basically you're hanging out with friends talking, but it gives you an outlet to, uh, to go between the episodes having some... Uh, you know, deeper, deeper thoughts about it. And you don't have to, you know, ruin friendships by talking obsessively over it. <laughs> right. <laughs> With people that don't, don't yeah. care. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So Liz goes on. Thank you again for such an incredible podcast and everything you do. Happy holidays. With great admiration. Liza Irizarry. Aww, thank you very thank much, you, Liza. Liza. Good Liza, to hear from Liza. you. And yeah, I'm not sure. Liza, Liza. It's got two Zs. So I feel like maybe Liza. Lisa, cool. like pizza. Lisa, Lisa, Lisa. Yeah, yeah. Awesome name. Really cool name. I want to tell us how to pronounce it though, so we get it right. It's really cool to look at though. Uh, the next one comes from Jim Hummelstein, Sir Duncan, and Lady Kristen. A recent episode of Radio Lab included a several-minute interview with Paula Fairfield, who is the foley artist for the dragon sounds for Game of Thrones, and he gave the link. So. Uh, yeah, I it's, it's radiolab.org will... slash story slash big hyphen little hyphen questions forward slash. So you should check that out. It's it's going to be really cool, I'm sure. Yeah, it says Paula starts at around 20 minutes in on the recording. She lists and plays many of the individual sounds she composites into, uh, composes, I think, into dragon sounds, including sounds of no, giant it's, it's... composites. Yeah, composites, yeah. She okay. combines different sounds. So she um, lists and yeah, plays cool. many of the individual sounds that she composites into dragon sounds, including sounds of giant tortoises mating. <laughs> <laughs> From Jim in the New Kingdom of Jersey. <laughs> it makes me think of that that uh, viral video with the, the, t- the turtles mating and it cuts to cold play. It's like... What, you know what I'm talking about? In what? It cuts. To, it's like that Coldplay video, or it's like, oh, it's I like don't, clocks or whatever. I haven't, seen a, I haven't seen a music video in years. Ooh, oh! <laughs> but it cuts to the tortoise going ooh. <laughs> it's great. I'll I'll post a link to it on our Facebook page. It's pretty funny. This sounds perfect. And our next email, it's uh, Sir Pete's Conspiracy Corner. Pete's Corner. (laughs) Sir Pete of Longwood. (laughs) Hey guys, I read somewhere that in the original draft, Jack and Hagar had a brother named Sammy. A bard often found singing at House Van Halen. (laughs) Van Van Helene, the pyromancer, in the reach. Uh, Sammy Hagar (laughs) had a hair of gold (laughs) that hung to his shoulders in lazy ringlets. He was widely known for his song about Tywin Lannister, and the time Tywin was a squire at a tourney, and he was told to drive more than half a hundred horses from the tourney grounds to the stables. (laughs) Ty can't drive five and fifty is sung from (laughs) Dorne to the Stormlands. 
and no one could forget his other song about a squire, the time pod called the Kettle Blacks. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but George's editors had him write Jackin as only as an only child and also convinced him to stop writing about Roos Bolton's brother Michael. 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 <laughs> Michael. Do you guys know if this is true? Love, Sir Pete of Longwood, breaker of wind, smoker of the dank, the somewhat burnt. Ah, uh, Those Pete. are new ones to me, too. Michael Bolton, <laughs> Sammy Hagar. <laughs> Sammy Hagar. You're getting, you're getting better with your story, Sir Pete. <laughs> yeah, this is a good one. That's a good one. Thanks, Sir Pete. Awesome. Yeah, Merry Christmas funny. to you. We have a voicemail from, uh, from Lady Anwen. Oh, yay! <laughs> it's Anwen here. Just thought I'd call in and give you some feedback from the last episode. And I really wanted to say thank you so much for all the background that you guys give us um, from the books and all the background stuff. It's really, really helped me to understand and give me so much more depth to each episode. And one thing that really stood out for me this time was Brienne and the background that you gave us, Duncan, about her um, and why she is so loyal to Renly. Mm. really made me understand more why she was so devastated um, when he was killed by the smoke monitor. And then the other thing, the religions, um, I had a little look at that clip that you posted, was it you, Kristen? Um, posted about the religions of Westeros and um, their different meanings. And so that got me thinking when... Um, Jockin or Jackin said uh, about the red god and I thought oh I thought he followed the many faced god so I had a little read on the internet and saw about how the many faced um, the faceless men they really like to um, believe that everybody worships death every different religion worships death just under a different name mm. and so that um, the red, when he says the red god he could also be meaning the many faced god so right. I thought that was really interesting right that's a great point and that whole scene with him and Arya was amazing um, and I just think it, it really showed that Arya understood the meaning and the power of death and revenge they see this look on her face after he kills um, the tickler and she just has this look of understanding and I thought that was such a powerful moment and the other thing that really struck me about this episode was there was a lot of people sizing each other up. There was a lot of people realising um, where the person they were talking to was standing or realising their power. And uh, one of the first ones there was Baelish, or Littlefinger, and Marjorie. And he's just chatting away to her. And he's, he got a little bit of a sense of her last week. But then this time he, he asks her the question, do you want to be a queen? And she says, no, I want to be the queen. And he looks at her and she looks at him and they get each other and that was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And then you have Tywin and Arya, they're sizing each other up. She's pouring his water and she says to him, um, anybody can be killed, my lord. And they hold <laughs> eyes for a moment and again, I think he's getting a sense of her. Uh, then you've got Brienne and Kat. They give each other the oaths and I think they're realising each other's strength and that strength can be very different. Um, just as you were saying last week about people's survival strengths and Brienne's realised Kat's um, womanly strength and Kat realises and honours Brienne's warrior strength, which I thought was very cool. Um, and then the final one, um, Danny and Jorah, and they have their little exchange and he says, I can't believe... 
I sometimes can't believe you're real and she looks at him and there's that moment of understanding where she realises his true feelings for her and the whole dynamic changes from that Hmm. point Um, I thought that was a really powerful scene as well so hopefully this isn't too long and rambling thanks guys talk to you soon I love her me too and hear all the tweet tweets tweeting in the background yes she, she was like walking in an on a nature, nature trail or something. Yeah, down in Hobbit Village <laughs> in mm-hmm. New Zealand. Thanks, oh Anwen. It's so good her. to hear from you. Thank you, Anwen. Thank yeah. you so much. It's such a pleasure. Definitely. And she's going to guest with us sometime soon. I told her to pick an episode. So, yeah. That'll be fun. Do it. <laughs> do it. Do it. All right, that's our show, episode 57. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Next week, we'll be covering season two, episode six, The Old Gods and the New. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. Yeah, and thank you also for everybody's feedback. And um, I've noticed this past week has been really fun on the Facebook page. Um, There's been a lot more activity and some more comments. And um, we love to interact with you and talk to you and um, love getting feedback on the show and what what your thoughts are. So thank you so much for uh, continuing to support our podcast by giving us your thoughts and opinions. Yeah, definitely. And uh, to do that, if you'd like to call, you can always reach us at 813-563-3739. That's 813-JOFFREY. If you'd like to write in, you can email us. That's right, at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast. And uh, if you have a second, we'd love if you would give us a like on Facebook or leave us an iTunes rating or review might help bump us up in the search results um they actually since i contacted apple about the the podcast app only you only showing eight results per search they actually changed it it's like they listened to me and uh, now when you search for a podcast all the results come up so that's good news and we are now findable when you search for game of thrones so thank you um apple and itunes we appreciate you listening to our feedback and really appreciate that yeah yes thank you That's our show, everybody. Thanks for listening. Do you want to be a queen? No. I want to be the queen. Okay. Are you there? Yep. Please wait while I get the latest episode of Game of Microphones podcast. And all of a sudden I hear, ah, and I'm like, yay! (laughs) (laughs) He's great. Hail Hydra. Moo. <laughs> bah. Uh. Perfect. Cut the check.